Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. Who told you I was hot tonight? Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello and welcome back. Can I try that again without my voice cracking? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll leave that in. Yeah, I know you will. Hello and welcome (laughs) back to Movies for Life. Wait, wait, I think I was talking, hang on, I was talking over you. Do it again. (laughs) You got to keep all this in because this is gold. Okay, go. Hi, and welcome back to Movies for Life. My name is Brian Kuyper. And I am Michelle Egan. We're coming back to a subject that (laughs) was a lot of fun to do. We're talking movies about movies again. And this is a... Which is something we're going to keep doing. Yes. I think, because there's a ton of movies that we we would love to get to for this. Oh, I know. I When we put out on Twitter a couple weeks back, uh, you know, what are some of your favorite movies about making movies we got a lot of responses mm-hmm. and boy i was like i want kind of where we got to, yeah i was like i want to that's kind of where we got the ideas for what we're talking about today too. it is it is it's like i want to cover all of these because they're amazing every single one yeah. yeah um and more that weren't mentioned keep coming to mind as well and uh, this yep. is just sort of a fun subject this is one of my favorite subgenres is movies about oh, making movies and movies about watching movies too are just a joy for anything me. where like movie actual movies talk about movies is in the movie i, I love it for some reason and these always have the, the two that the two <laughs> that we have today are this is okay this is probably okay if ed wood and shadow of the vampire were kind of a perfect pairing this is the <laughs> weirdest pairing that weirdest pairing. that i but somehow they work Somehow they were. They, they do. There has been a change of programming from one of your hosts. That would be me. I originally was going to do Bowfinger, but and I love that movie, but something about it didn't feel right, and I'm not sure what it was. I'm really not sure what it was. I think it was maybe it felt a little bit too much like uh, your choice. So my choice now is. 1952's Singing in the Rain. Wait, wait, wait. wait which, the, which the subgenre we're doing of movies about movies? Oh. Because before we talked about, we did uh, with Shadow and Ed Wood was movies about the making of a real movie. And this time we're doing movies about the makings of fake movies. Yes. And I absolutely love our choices because this is the most this is why i really wanted to do this show was to be able to talk about movies like these two yeah at the same time and have it actually work because i, I movies, think it does in a way movies that are weird. so <laughs> disparate from each other but <laughs> so somehow somehow this is kind of i'm close to saying this is my favorite double feature we've done <laughs> honestly mine too <laughs> because this is Okay, both movies are sheer joy. 
joy. Um, Absolute joy. They're yes. a little bit both the agony and the ecstasy of making a movie. Um, yep. And you just feel the triumphs of the movies so much. Yes. When something good happens, you feel it so deep for both of them. So now can I say my choice? Yes, sorry. My choice. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Now you, I started saying it already. So, uh, But 1952's Singing in the Rain, which is <laughs> one of, I think, not only one of the greatest movies ever made, I think it is the greatest uh, movie musical ever made. Wouldn't argue that. And it's a personal favorite of mine, too, for several reasons. I think it's one that when people actually see it, they're really surprised by it. Because a lot of people have heard about it. They know they know the number, you know, with Gene Kelly mm-hmm. actually singing in the rain. Everybody knows that. But when you actually see the movie, I think people like me, I was so surprised. I had no idea what it was actually about and was floored by how good it was. Absolutely floored by how good it was. I had the same reaction, yeah. And so tell us your choice. What is our weird double here? My choice to pair with Singing in the Rain, a classic Hollywood musical, is 2017's One Cut of the Dead. A zombie movie. A zombie movie. (laughs) And yet, somehow, I absolutely love it. Because like we said, they're both about just pure joy and bringing you the happiest of feelings. I remember... When this, uh, when one cut finally got was um, released, so more people could see it, because it was kind of hard to see when it, at first. When more people started watching it, watching it, they were like, "Oh my god, this movie, this is so happy and joyous," and everybody was loving it, and all of the praise that was heaped on it is absolutely deserved. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll get into it. I I do want to mention so happy. we we both love this. A we lot, do, so. we do. I do want to mention uh, if you haven't seen One Cut of the Dead. Uh, and you have Shudder, uh, yeah. go over to Shudder and just watch it. Don't listen to us spoil it for you, because we're going to spoil yeah. it for you. And it's a movie that deserves to be seen, knowing as little about it as possible. Knowing, yeah, absolutely nothing about yeah. it. Um, I had... <clears throat> My voice cracked, too. Yeah, I, and we'll go into probably our first experience watching this movie. Um, when we get mm-hmm. to one cut, we are going to cover it second. As seems to be our tradition, uh, it seems like my pick goes first and Michelle's goes second, and that's just the way it has happened to work out. Um, so it doesn't mean anything. It just happened to work out. No. And maybe it's our lucky charm. We're becoming a little superstitious, maybe. We have a few rituals that like, we do. If we change it, maybe, maybe things will go wrong if we change yeah, it. Yeah, so we, we, we're, do that. We're, we're not sure. if We're, we're probably going to stick with this format, if I'm being honest. Um, yes. Yeah, so that means we're going to start with uh, Singing in the Rain, unless you had anything else you wanted to add before we get going. No, go ahead. Okay. Let's do it. So this is a big, lavish MGM musical from the Arthur Freed unit of the 1950s that gave us so many great films. I mean, this was On the Town and An American in Paris and later The Bandwagon and Gigi and all sorts of movies that um, are highly respected and beloved um, in their own right. But this is, for me, this is the crown jewel of them all. Though the bandwagon is close. That movie is really, 
really damn good. If you haven't seen the bandwagon seen that. Nope. Uh, out there, I highly recommend it. It's Sid Charisse, who is wonderful in this ah. film, getting a much larger yeah. role, getting a, and a speaking role at that, <laughs> um, and and Fred Astaire. So it's it's a it's a wonderful film. This was uh, directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donen uh, at a time when directors were not given equal credit on movies. That just wasn't the case. But they insisted on it, and they got it, because both of them have agreed in different interviews that each of them is equal as the director of this film. The -the behind-the-scenes stuff is a little crazy. We'll probably hit some of that from time to time, but there's... Because I don't know any of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not not scandalous or anything like that, but it was hard work. You know, it's really hard work. Gene Kelly was a perfectionist. And he demanded a lot out of his performers. You know, he demanded, especially dancers. And um, Debbie Reynolds was 19 years old. Uh, She had been in a couple of small movies. Uh, She was a contract player in MGM from when she was 15. Uh, She had won Miss Burbank or something like that and was signed uh, to MGM. uh, She was a gymnast. She was not a dancer. And so to see what she's capable of doing, like in the Good Morning number in this movie, mm-hmm. having only had three months of dance experience, is astonishing. She looks like a total pro, yeah. Total pro. Wow. And, um, but I did read that she said that, like, the two hardest things she's ever done were childbirth and making Singing in the Rain. Because yes. it was so physically demanding. Absolutely. Uh, in, I believe it. In fact, I mean, well, maybe I'll bring it up when we actually get to the Good Morning number, but... Um, so this movie, um, uh, the couple of couple of things that Arthur Freed had sort of a unit, a stable of people that he worked with a lot. Uh, he wrote the songs for this one. Uh, the songs for this movie all pre-existed except for one, and it would be what you would call a jukebox musical uh, in that it took all these songs that had been written by him and his partner. So Singing in the Rain was featured in the movie in uh, – the early 30s, everything is available in other places. So uh, this was hits, and they just put them into a completely different context. Well, they had written all these movies, uh, or these songs for all these movies for the early talkies and early musicals of the very you know late 20s, early 30s. So the writing team of Betty Comden and Adolph Green wrote this screenplay based on the transition from silent pictures to sound and it is brilliant in so many ways um how they do that the stars of course are gene kelly donald o'connor debbie reynolds uh gene hagan as lena lamont who i just find hilarious i love her uh millard mitchell is rf simpson uh sid charisse is the mysterious dancer douglas fowley plays the uh director roscoe dexter uh, Rita Marino plays Zelda Zanders. <laughs> Zelda, oh Zelda, yeah. Um, so those are the those are some of the big ones. I love the opening sequence where they're the the movie. Well, premiere. what was your experience with uh, watching this for the first time? Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So I watched this the first time about twenty years ago. What I was doing, I was going through the AFI's top one hundred movies of all time list. I wasn't doing them in order or anything like that. I, I was just checking off all of them because I wanted to see all 100 uh, at some point. And Singing in the Rain was one that just took me a long time to get to for some reason. 
because uh, you know again I had I was like oh, a musical I've seen that that scene a zillion times you yeah. know it, I did just didn't sound interesting to me I didn't really know anything about it though but I'm gonna see it so probably checked it out from the library or saw it on TCM or something like that with my wife when we were first married we watched it together and were just completely instantly enamored with it and then many years later I got a chance to I was I was substitute teaching with a high school group it's sort of this alternative school it was or a, or a charter school sort of and on Fridays they would have these big long periods where it was just sort of specialties and I, I this was given the option of teaching anything I wanted that related to music so I did movie music and one day I said you know what we've talked a lot about all sorts of movies music used in movies but we've never actually watched a musical so I'm just going to show you the best one there is so I turned on this movie, and these 17 and 18-year-olds were absolutely enraptured with it. They loved really? it. It was just such a joy to see, to introduce that to a, to a younger generation and have them still be as captivated by it as people have been since 1950s. And the thing is, this movie wasn't a big hit when it came out. People were like, it's good, but it's no one American in Paris, <laughs> you know, ah. um, which... I've seen an American in Paris and I like it, but but to me it's no singing in the rain. Yeah. So and and then a few years before that, when my son was, I'd forgotten about this when my son was very young, maybe four or five years old, I was watching TCM and um, he came and just wanted to hang out with me, so he sat on the couch with me and we were watching an American in Paris and I knew singing in the rain was coming on afterwards, so I actually fell asleep on 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 an American in Paris. He was completely enthralled by it and then we just kept going we watched singing in the rain after that and he was like amazed by this movie this little you know like five maybe six year old kid i know his age keeps changing because as i'm trying to remember (laughs) this um but yeah he was very young and he was really into it so i mean mostly mostly into the like the dancing particularly of Gene Kelly, and I said to him later, I said, you know, there's this movie where he uh, he dances on roller skates. And he thought that was so cool. So I <laughs> later we watched that movie, <laughs> uh, It's Always Fair Weather. So anyway, how about you? Yeah, um, I kind of felt like a five-year-old when I first saw this, um, just like two years ago, we watched it back in 2019. And yeah, I had the exact same reaction like that you were talking about. Um, wasn't really into watching it and knew all about it and had seen all the the big scenes, you know, clips before. Wasn't so into musicals, like, eh, but I'll find, maybe I'll see it eventually. Because I, yeah, I didn't really know what it was about either. I didn't know it was about movies. Right. Well, if I had known that, I would have watched it, like, way sooner. Because, like I said, it's one of my favorite things. And But I finally, I don't know what made me watch it the, the first time, but... I think it was just like, uh, I need to see this. It's a classic. I should probably watch this. Sure. So I just sat down and watched it one day. And yeah, I had the same reaction. I was completely enamored with it from the beginning. I was so happy. And I mean, it's it's colorful and it's mm-hmm. funny. And I was just loving it. You're just amazed watching the dancing and the, uh, the, the way it looks and the way it makes you feel. I was just and so friggin' happy after I watched this. 
Exactly. There's just this uh, sense that it's it's this movie for me is just like the cure for the blues too. Right. <laughs> it's like impossible for me to feel bad watching this movie because it, it will it will instantly just lift me to to this place you know of of, of sheer yeah. joy and delight and um it's so tightly paced every there's not an ounce of fat on this movie it just goes from mm-hmm. one thing to another without i mean it barely gives you room to breathe i mean which is in, in a not a bad thing in this case i mean it just in the exuberance way. of it it just rolls and so now I just uh, popping into I guess some of the plot. I love that opening sequence with the premiere. Yes. <laughs> Don Lockwood's uh, or Gene Kelly's speech as Don Lockwood. You know he comes in with the lovely uh, Lena Lamont on his arm and he gives this speech about dignity, always dignity, always dignity. And then they show you know it says you know my my parents would have us perform for their society friends. Then it shows him you know. Dancing in a billiard hall while while Cosmo, yeah. while his friend Cosmo is playing a harmonica and stuff like that, and, um, getting kicked out. Yeah, I love the entrance of all the people because it actually introduces all the characters in that opening scene. Like the big movie stars mm-hmm. come in. It's like like Zelda or you know Zelda, oh Zelda, and everybody cheers. And then and then oh, and it's Cosmo, and everyone's looking around. Who's that? And then Cosmo, played by Donald O'Connor, gets out, and everyone goes, "Oh," <laughs> because he's not a movie star; he's a behind-the-scenes guy, and he's uh, Don Lockwood's uh, best friend. But I just love that you know it goes, it's, it intercuts that that dignity speech with the whole you know the fit is a fiddle, ready for love. Oh my God, that that part was so good. <laughs> <sighs> They're doing like the low. Like the Russian kicks with the violins yes. and stuff like that. Oh, it is. <laughs> how, how do you do that? How? <laughs> the athleticism of the two of them. And, and that's the thing. Donald O'Connor and, and Gene Kelly really have different dancing styles, but they just complement each other so perfectly. You can see just how, again, you know, athletic and strong they are in every yeah. movement, but the grace that they have. This kind of dancing from this period just boggles my mind because it is. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things because I hadn't really seen that before when I saw this for the first time. Most of the musicals I had seen were, you know, like The Sound of Music, which are not big dancing movies. They're, you know, balletic, and which is beautiful in its own way, but they're not hoofer movies, you know? And the way that they would shoot those scenes to show off, like, how talented the, the guys were mm-hmm. by not cutting as much. Right. And just kind of letting it go in one take. You're like, they're really doing this yes. all in this one take right now. And you're just amazed by it. Even if you don't really notice it, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like they're so good. Stanley Donut. And the time, the, the, com- the comedy timing with mm-hmm. the two of them too, especially in that scene, the fit is a fiddle one, when they keep, you know, changing, you know, the way they're playing the fiddle and the way they kind of like are doing comedic moments, like back and forth with each other with it. That's just, uh I don't know how else to say, but it just keeps saying, it's so good. They're so talented. That's just, that's how it is. Stanley Donan really knew how to shoot dancing because everything is head to toe. The camera just follows them perfectly because, yeah. you, you just know. lets them go and just follows them. It looks so effortless, but the thing is, you know how many days, yeah. hours, <laughs> months went into making these sequences happen. And what's astonishing to me, Gene Kelly went straight from 
American in Paris into shooting this. And they're completely different kinds of things. The versatility that, that they're able to bring, that he's able to bring to that. One of the things I love about, you know, the intercuts in this opening scene is just, he's, he's a, he's a silent movie star, right? So, so many of those silent movie stars uh, and those early comedians, they were, you know, dance hall people. They were vaudevillians. I mean, these were the Marx Brothers. These were Buster Keaton. You know, these kinds of people, this, uh, Jimmy Cagney, these people, you know, came out of this tradition. It's something that by the 50s, that was fairly removed. Uh, so this was a throwback to seeing that common rise to fame. And, and, and it was, I, I love the energy of it. And then, you know, he gets into the movies and he's a, he's a, he's, Provi- they're providing the mood music first, and then he says, "Hey, the the, the, the <laughs> stunt performer, you know, gets knocked out." So it's like, "I'll do it," and uh, jumps into it and becomes this. Throws movie himself star. over a bar. Yeah, throws himself over the bar. Then the the motorcycle, you know, uh, off the cliff into the river, and and the airplane, you know, crashing into the building. Yeah, right into a building. Yeah, and then he introduces himself to uh, Lena Lamont, who's the star of all these movies. And she was like, won't have anything to do with him. Then, you know, the producer comes up and says, hey, we'd love to have you in our next picture. And she just sort of snuggles into him and says, oh, <laughs> you know, and then he's. But the thing is, she hasn't spoken a word. And you're wondering why she's not talking you're this whole time. Starting to notice that she's <laughs> not talking. And um, the moment. OK, so after the movie's over, because they because. They, they show their new movie that they're in together. They become this sort of item. And the newspapers say, oh, they're getting married and all these sorts of things. And um, Lena's like about to give a speech. And, and, and Don comes and pulls her back. <laughs> over her back. Over. <laughs> then they go backstage and says, why won't you let me talk? <laughs> what do you think I am, <laughs> dumb or something? And um, every time Lena opens her mouth for the first time, every single time, it, it makes me laugh. It never does. Oh, it made me <laughs> double over. I was like, oh my God, that is perfect. Because by then I knew like what the the movie was kind of about. I kind of read up on it and I was like, oh, I see where this is going. This is so hilarious. This is a perfect way to do this story. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that's funny about, you know, I mean, not funny about it. One of the things that's kind of sad about it actually is a lot of these silent movie stars, they couldn't make the transition to sound in Hollywood movies because their voices were either strange or, or they had heavy accents like Greta Garbo, Mm -hmm. Conrad Veidt. I just learned about this recently because I I wrote an article on Dracula, Conrad Veidt, who was in cabinet of Dr. Calgary and uh, some things like that. He, he actually went back to Europe at the transition to sound because his accent was too heavy. He was afraid he wasn't going to be able to do it. He was going to be Dracula. He was going to have Bella Lugosi's part. Ironic that, you know, someone with a heavy accent ended up getting that part anyway, yeah. you know. Uh, but um, Conrad Veidt, actually, he came back to Hollywood later and is probably best remembered later for uh, in Casablanca. He played uh, Major Strasse. Anyway, back to this movie. <laughs> We have the. Oh wait, is this before she speaks? Was that where the line comes up where it's like she's so refined? I think I'll kill myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While they're watching the movie. That. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she's so refined. I think I'll kill myself. Yeah. 
Um, the audi- the little the little lines and moments in this movie yes. are very. They're very. They have almost a Marx Brothers quality. They have almost a Groucho Marx quality to them, where they just pop in real quick, and you almost don't have time to think about them. Yeah. Um, There's one later that's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, well, the one who has the most of those is Donald O'Connor's character, where he'll just jump in with some quip, and it's mm-hmm. and I can't I can't even remember an example right at this moment because they're so quick and they're so funny and they're almost so quick that you have a hard time processing them because they're on to the next thing already. Yeah. He has one later where it's like, uh, what? you can't find it. I wrote it down. Oh, at least at last I can start suffering and write that sympathy. Right. The symphony. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> those, those things are yeah, so, so funny. And he's, he's just so great. And then we have our meat cute. Yeah. It's a great one too. Um, he yes. has, Don has gone out in public. A little weird. But. It's a little weird. Yeah. He, he goes out to, he's in his tuxedo and fans sort of mob him and start ripping his clothes apart. And he climbs up onto the top of a streetcar and, and, and jumps into a car that has sure, a convertible like open as one does, you know, and it happens to be yeah, uh, sure. Kathy Selden uh, played by Debbie Reynolds in a, very early role. She's nineteen in this movie. She's nineteen, and she's she's so good and just lovely. Um, but she she kind of plays. She she knows what's going on. She puts him in his place throughout that whole. I love thing. that. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like I don't I don't go to movies. I might have seen one of them. You've seen one. You've seen them all. You can see her. You can see her kind of switch because I think she she obviously knows who he is mm. right off the bat. But when he's all like, you know, we movie stars or we get real yeah. lonely, and he like puts his arm around her, and she's like, "No, dude, I don't think so." <laughs> I loved that so much. I hadn't I really that. thought about that too much before, but here it's like because you hear about these, you know, these movie stars that do that kind of shit, you know, and she's just like, "Forget it, no." You're, and, and she says, I prefer, you know, the classics and all these sorts of things, uh, things that take intelligence, you know, what you're doing is, is just, you know, stage acting st- is much more dignified. Exactly. Yeah. I really like that a lot. Then they go to that society party and we see the RF Simpsons party. Uh, yeah. yeah. RF Simpsons party, which is, which really I love him too. Party. Me. The guy who plays RF Simpson. I adore him. Me too. But I think my favorite, my favorite small detail cameo in this whole movie is the guy who does the talking picture demo. Okay, who is that? Yes. He's, I don't even know who he is. I, I saw his name. Apparently he was in the movie House of Frankenstein. Something about that guy. A talking picture. My mouth is moving and yeah. sound is coming out in perfect synchronization. <laughs> You know, and then it's like he doesn't know what to do at the end, and he's looking around, and he has these kind of big teeth, <laughs> just the way he looks. I know at the I was camera. so focused on his teeth in that scene, <laughs> and that moment is so hilarious to me, and I don't, I don't know if I even know why, but then, um, it, and then like nobody gets it, and they're like, oh, there's somebody talking behind the screen yeah. and everything, like no. Yeah. This is a real thing. They're doing, they're talking about, is this when they bring up the jazz That's singer? they bring up the jazz singer. Because, it's, yeah, Warner Brothers over there is uh, is doing a whole movie with this contraption. <laughs> it'll never, it'll never That's take. Sound crazy. Yeah, it'll never take. 
Birds, let's get another take. Hold it! Hold it, Dexter! Hello, Mr. Simpson. Hello. Well, Mr. Simpson, we're really rolling. Yeah, well, you can stop rolling at once. Huh? Don, Lena. All right, everybody, save it! Save it? Tell them to go home. We're shutting down for a few weeks. What? Well, don't just stand there. Tell them. Everybody go home until further notice. What is this? Yeah, what's the matter, R.F.? The jazz singer. That's what's the matter, the jazz singer. Oh, my darling little mammy. Down in Alabama. Oh, your little baby. Oh, no, this is no joke, Cosmo. It's a sensation. The public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures. Talking pictures. Oh, it's just a freak. Yeah, what a freak. We should have such a freak at this studio. I told you talking pictures were a menace, but no one would listen to me. Don, we're going to put our best feet forward. We're going to make the dueling cavalier into a talking picture. You know, and that's, of course, you know, the after the fact joke, you know, that's the that's the joke in yeah. 1950s, you know, whereas, yeah. you know, it's it's sort of like there's this line in Almost Famous where they say, yeah, this uh, they have a mojo over the studio over at, you know, that you can send pages over the telephone. It only takes 18 minutes. A page. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that, it's that kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, that. so but I think this one works a lot better. Uh, than that one, to be honest. Even though I love, you know, Almost Famous is my favorite movie. That's one moment that I'm like, eh. Anyway. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> so then we have the All I Do is Dream of You number, uh, where we find out that Kathy is... <gasps> Who's that pops out of cake? Yeah. It's Kathy. Yeah, so she's one of... She works at the Coconut Grove, and, and uh, so she's not exactly in, in a line of work that is stage acting and all these sorts of things like that the air that she put on as it turns out yes um but you know <laughs> it's a good hey but even as a chorus girl yes that's hard work too absolutely it's very hard work and so. in fact she managed to manages to get into the chorus of the musicals that they start to show over at uh that they're starting to make at Monument Pictures, right? Monument. Yeah. yeah. And so, oh, by the way, uh, after All I Do is Dream of You, there's the. this is the moment where also Lena becomes the major antagonist of Kathy because yep. she throws a cake meant for Dawn, but it hits Lena. And um, Lena, we find right. out... Gets her. Yeah, Lena gets her fired from the Coconut Grove, as I understand. Yes. But before that, originally... Uh, at the after the party, Don leaves the party has kind of a smile on his face because he's sort of taken with with Kathy. Originally, he was going to be he had a number there. It's sort of a slower version of All I Do Is Dream of You, where Gene Kelly was going to you know go all the way back to his apartment or his house and all these things and and uh, be singing this song. But it felt like it slowed the film down, so it got cut. And then, so it cuts instead to three weeks later, Jazz Singer has been released. I love this moment, though, where they're walking, he's walking through the Cosmo, and you're seeing all these different films being shot right next to each yeah. other. There's sort of like this jungle movie and a Western and a, yeah. some sort of, I can't remember what the other one is, but they're all just kind of right there. And, you know, that was sort of that studio factory idea. You know, these silent films could just be shooting all the time at the same time. Uh, and it didn't matter if if the sound bled, um, because obviously there was no sound to be. I, it, then we go into the Make Him Laugh number, which is sort of a lot of people's favorite. A lot of people really love this number. Yeah. Um, I Whenever I read about this, everyone always mentions this part. I love it because it is, it is Donald O'Connor's chance to shine on his yes. own. Um, and he is brilliant in the, in the sequence. 
The problems with it, I think the the, the song is not that great. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Make Make Them Laugh is is a ripoff song. Uh, they said they needed a song. Arthur Freed said, okay, you need a song like, they suggested Be a Clown by Cole Porter as being something like that. So they went off and wrote this song, Make Them Laugh. Well, if you listen to the songs side by side, they're pretty much the same song. Uh, and he got called out on it. He knew it. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, didn't get sued, didn't have that issue. The The number itself is astonishing. I mean, all that stuff, yeah, that yeah. rubber face stuff he does, where he's like moving oh, his I face around. I have no idea how he's doing some of that stuff. Uh, like when he runs into the brick wall. Of course, the the thing with the, the little mannequin that uh, there's oh, like yeah. the, 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 he's is putting his hand on his knee and he's moving it off and stuff like that. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's animating it himself and the timing, everything. But when about he, it. yeah, but when he throws it behind the couch, yeah. And there's one part where the mannequin flies up mm-hmm. in the air, but then like he comes up, yeah, like full, yeah, in the air. <laughs> Again, I mean, and the thing is, I don't get it. Apparently, how talented these people are. I, apparently, at the time, he was like a heavy smoker too. Yeah, he, I read that. Yeah, and was just completely <laughs> wasted by the end of of, of filming this. Because it, yeah, I read that he had to go in, to the hospital mm-hmm. for a couple of days after this just because he was so worn out, I guess. Well, and you can see just the manic energy that he brings to mm-hmm. the sequence. I mean, the part where he's running around Non-stop. on the floor in a circle. Um, and the cuts, Non-stop energy, the whole number. And again, these are done in minimal cuts. So you're doing big moments, sequences that last for quite some time before being cut and you go to the next part of it. There was like maybe three in the sequence. I yeah, think. I think if I haven't counted. I, I would be interested to go back and count. But and to think, you know, what the what the cameras at that time, what they would have had to do to get all this motion and movement going and to stay in focus. There was an autofocus on these yeah. things. I mean, the focus pullers must have been going crazy. And then it, of course, culminates with him running up the wall, running up the wall, and flipping over. <laughs> And he said, oh, it was easy. Something my brother taught me to do. Uh, you know, in later interviews <laughs> with him, it's like, and you see this. You okay. Know, and, and the thing is, I've seen this movie, this this show on stage as well. And uh, the, the performer did that on stage live. And he almost didn't make it on one of them. Because it's so exhausting to, to do that trick. Yeah. But everyone was waiting and for it. And he does it more than once. He does it. In this What's scene. great about it, it's so comedically perfect. Because he does one that works. He does a second one that works. Then he does a third where he goes through the wall. <laughs> yeah. And then he ends the number. It just sort of collapses. And it's like, you feel it. You feel like that is authentic. <laughs> like, I'm sure that's how you really felt. Yeah. And, and I imagine when, when Gene Kelly or Stanley Donan said, cut print on that, he was like, oh, thank God. You know? Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's an astonishing number in a lot of ways. So I know I'm kind of going through this plot point by plot point. It's just because there's just so much, again, it's that tight script thing that, I mean, it's just like, I don't want to, there's something in every scene just about. There's something you could talk about in everything. Yeah. I mean, the next part after that is the filming of the Dueling Cavalier for Silent. Okay. So it's the new Lena. This is where it has my favorite line in the movie. Oh yeah. Okay. I get, I get, yes. What, what, so, okay. So for context, what's going on is, is they're filming and they're, they're talking about their, their dialogue 
they're talking about how much they they're hate filming, each yeah, other. Yeah, they're filming this scene. Yeah. They're filming this and scene. He, and he's found out that she got Kathy fired uh-huh. because she threw the pie in her face. And so he's like pissed at Lena. Yeah. And yeah, this scene is just She's just talking about how talking much he hates her. Through the scene, how much they hate each other while they're filming, like how in love they are. Yeah. And, and she's like, sticks and stones may break my bones. And he's like, I'd like to break every bone in your body. That's my, I don't know why, but it's my favorite. Just the way he says it kills me every time. Oh, yeah. And they're so good in that scene. They really are. And, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, so Jean Hagen had, had been before this, she was in the Blackboard Jungle. But so she's she's like unrecognizable. I mean, she's a brunette in that. Uh, her she uses her her regular speaking voice. Uh, Real. Voice. Yeah, she does. She does not, uh, in fact, speak like Lena Lamont. Unfortunately, this movie kind of ruined her career because what? because she was so good as this sort of shrill character she was playing that it that it uh, she didn't get a lot of parts after this. No, which is that's such a shame because she's so. That's like the opposite brilliant. of what should have happened. She should have got so much more I after this because she's so good. Well, and this is a t- well. She she could have done comedy. Yeah. Oh, she would have been brilliant. Yeah, and she, it's not like she did nothing after this, uh, but she didn't do a lot. Uh, it's which Ooh. is a real shame, real shame. But we have her in this, and she's just wonderful in it. Okay. Um, so this is there a little? Do you see a little bit of defense for her character though, or do you just hate her the whole way? Um, here's the thing: I can I can kind of see where she's coming from. I see, even though she's she does really horrible things. Here's the thing: one of the, I've heard some defenses of her, but it's beyond just she has a weird voice and she's a bad actress and those sorts of things. She really is just kind of a horrible person <laughs> you know yeah. you know I, I think the movie kind of goes out of its way to say we're not making fun of the fact that she's just not good at this it's beyond that it's like she's really kind of a nasty person you know? but at the same time i can see how she's being controlled by them and yeah. that's maybe what contributes to the way she acts you know her, the relationship with dawn is just for publicity yeah it's not and, real, she, even though she's she, deluded she wants herself it to be. into believing that it is. Or she just wants it to be because yeah. she likes him, and but he doesn't like her. However, she only not likes, being allowed. She only likes him mm-hmm. because of his fame, though. She totally sure. rejected okay. him when he was just a stunt guy. <laughs> but know? I can see how she would just. Um, I understand. I guess the jealousy, you know, yeah. that she has when they want to use Kathy's voice. You know, see, you know, she's she's an actor. Yeah. She's an actor too. She she wants to be recognized, but she doesn't really have the talent mm-hmm. to be recognized for the thing that she she loves doing. So, yeah. but yeah, she is a horrible person. Yeah. She does horrible things to Kathy. So yeah, whatever. Doing doing it behind her back, you know, is yeah. is pretty is pretty <laughs> shitty. But you know, <laughs> it's also if we don't do that, we don't have a movie. You know, I mean that's that's yeah. part of you know there there's some sometimes things happen in movies that you're kind of like, well, that's really the good guys are doing shitty things, but if they don't, you don't have a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of part of it. I'm just saying I have the slightest bit of sympathy. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, and, and... Maybe just because I like watching her, you kind of... You know, she plays kinda... it in a way that is in, engaging and funny, and it's hard to... Yes. It's hard, it's hard <laughs> to be... She's not like so... 
vicious. It's hard to laugh for a character to make you laugh and just completely hate them, you know? Yeah. And she really does. She is extraordinarily funny. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. Okay, so the next part of the movie is the one sequence I don't really like. And that's the beautiful, beautiful girls number. Oh no! It's it's just like eh, it doesn't. I mean, I get it's in the movie because well, there are two reasons. First of all, they're showing that Kathy has now been hired to be in the chorus of some of these movies. It was also a chance to showcase the designs, the crazy designs that the oh my god that the person <laughs> that the costume designer had created. Because he had come up with all these amazingly over-the-top designs. And so they wanted, they were like, we can't use all these. Let's showcase them in this way. And that's kind of cool. I kind of like that. Yes. Um, but, I mean. <laughs> the way that this whole dance number is, is shot is very cool. But, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do no. with the rest of the movie. No, it's the one, it's the one sequence that you can lift right out. But it is very cool to watch. <laughs> and one of the things about that they're doing is they're making fun of Busby Berkeley. Busby Berkeley was sort of the trend in early uh, musicals where you've got these over-the-top shots where you see, like, these kaleidoscope shapes, you know, these these circular okay, yeah, yeah. different things. And I like Busby Berkeley movies. Uh, Footlight Parade, I think, is, is, is kind of like an early musical masterpiece. But Stanley Donen... You are so much more well-versed than uh, I am on this. I've <laughs> just seen a few of these movies, that's all. Um, but I haven't. Yeah. Um, so Bus- Busby Berkeley was was the guy. I mean, he really did a lot of this stuff. And he was pretty amazing stuff, okay? But Stanley Donen and Gene Kelly hated it. Hated this stuff. So what they're doing is they're making... They're poking fun at, at that Busby Berkeley style. And um, you can kind of see it. You can kind of see it yeah. because the song is kind of dumb and it doesn't really make any sense. There's no point to it. Yeah. Well, and before that, they do the song. Just like, here's a beautiful girl mm-hmm. wearing beautiful clothes. What? Mm-hmm. What's the point of a song like that? The song is kind of dumb. And then the one before that yeah. where they're showing, they have like this manic montage of all these musicals they were making. It's a holiday, a day, mm-hmm. a day. Which is, I've actually saw, there's footage on the special features of the DVD I have of Singing in the Rain that had uh, uh, Arthur Freed playing that song on the piano and singing it. It's a song that's just sort of a throwaway song, but it was apparently kind of a hit. So so that's why it was included in the movie. And it kind of makes right. sense in that montage sequence. But then the be- when it goes into the Beautiful Girls, it just sort of it drags the movie a little bit. Um, it's little bit. This is still a five-star masterpiece movie. But that sequence, right. I'm like, you can lift it right out. Right after the conversation. It's still, like, visually stunning yeah. to look at. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, Which I always appreciate. Yes, definitely. And, and of course, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that everything... I hate this, too. When people say, this movie, this part doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Who cares? You know? I mean, I... Who cares? It's beautiful to look yeah. at. And I never really care. I was like, oh, this doesn't really matter. But I, I'm loving watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, I, I guess I don't really like song yeah. you know i like the the visuals of it though because they're interesting and, yeah, and they yeah. are kind of poking fun at some of that you know that previous era of of uh, hollywood musical as well which you know happens a little bit in this movie you know there's a there's making fun of there's a lot of making fun of themselves in this movie from insiders you know which makes it all the more entertaining i think 
because uh, R.F. Simpson has a line at the end of that says, this is excellent, you know, this will start a new trend in musical pictures. Well, yeah, of course. You know, that that's, again, <laughs> it's one of those sort of movie history lines there. Yeah. So, anyway, Busby Berkeley movies, by the way, side note, there some of them are really worth checking out. It's, I would say Footlight Parade, it has this, this water sequence that is astonishing. I think that's the one. I could be wrong. They, they, some of them, frankly, they kind of blend together. <laughs> they're a little, they're pretty okay. similar. But uh, 40, That is the one I have heard of. 42nd Street is probably their, his most famous one. So, anyway, those are a couple to, to think about. Then, then we have that sequence where they just fall in love on the empty stage. Aww. It's kind of cute, though. It's neat. I love that part. The way he wants to uh, set the scene yeah. for her by setting it like a movie scene. Yeah. It's just perfect for the movie. And, you know, just turning on the it's very sweet. turning on the fan and, and you know, the lighting and, and all these things. And, and that's, in a way, that's kind of what this movie celebrates all around is it's sort of the beautiful artifice of the movies. You know, it's, it's yeah. none of it is real, but it becomes real, you know, because it's magic, you know, and it's a yeah. celebration. And you just get lost in the magic yeah. and the love. Yeah. It's the celebration of that. I the really movie is that. a celebration of movies. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a love letter and, 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 you know, also a little bit of a, Hey, you know, we, we suck in some ways too. And we got it. We, we <laughs> and we admit it, you know, <laughs> there's some things about this that are silly. Then the elocution lesson <laughs> With oh Lena. <laughs> Lena, I love you. This was especially in this scene. <laughs> where, this is this it's hard to say is this my favorite scene in the movie? I don't know, yes. <laughs> but it's pretty close. It's it's way up there. It's you know, this is this is the one, you know, my wife and I go around saying and I can't stand him. <laughs> <laughs> she is perfect. Can't <laughs> you do that imitation so much better than me. Uh, it's it's just it's just so funny, and there's that comic timing of, of Gene Hagen. It's just so great. And then uh, then you contrast it with can't can't, can't. <laughs> the way she just looks right at her. She could in, in her. And the thing is that that's actually the scene where I kind of sympathize with her. You know, like we were just saying, I kind of sympathize her with her. Because yeah. sometimes it's like, I because, okay. When, Can she really not hear it? Exactly. Because when I was in choir uh, and taking voice lessons and stuff like that, I would I would have to sing in foreign languages. They would show me, like, like German umlauts, for example. You know, the U with the mm-hmm. with the two dots over the top, for example. And it's they would say, say an E through an, through an U shape in your mouth. E. And I was like, mm. and I would do that. And it's like, no. Ew. And it was like, what? I'm doing it. And, it, you know, <laughs> but they kept on over and over and over again. It's like, what am I not doing right here? I don't hear it. I don't hear that I'm doing it wrong. And that's just mm-hmm. an example. I mean, but I mean, there were certain things. There was like just these little, little nuances that, that, I mean, this is can't and can't is a big difference, but. <laughs> But it's sort of that same kind of idea where it's like, I don't know what I'm not hearing. It could just be for comedic effect, but I mean, there could be some of that too. And that's kind of why I, I do sympathize with her a little bit. I think, especially in this scene, yeah. 
when you realize that maybe she just won't be able to do it and yeah. maybe she knows that and maybe she knows her career is over yeah and maybe that's why she acts the way she does even though it's not right you know it's kind of like when you have just a smidge of an understanding at right. least of where the bad person is coming from right and i think i think at the same time there's a fair amount of her just being delusional and not being right. able to admit to herself that she sucks at this, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> you just you don't know what's going on in her head. Right. She's, I can't. Really, she's hard to read in this. Movie she really is in that way. She really is. Yeah. Um, I mean, my sympathy for her kind of decreases as the movie goes on, though. <laughs> by by the it. end, I'm just like serves her right, you know. When 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 she gets her come up at the end. Oh no! The next scene is my favorite. The first time that they try. To record the movie yes. with sound. Yeah, so that's my favorite. Scene. Right before that, then we get it. Well, after right before that, we get the, the Moses supposes number, which is really fun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses supposes his toes or roses. Um, but uh, that was something I would not be able to do with the way I talk. I would all that. Um, I don't even know what you would call it—just verbal gymnastics. I would not be able to do that. Any time in this movie where you get to see Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly dance together is a great yeah. sequence. And even again, the song is sort of like, eh, it's okay. But w- what they create from that together is astounding. But then... And the way they work together and play off of each oh, other. Yeah. It's so perfect. And they give each other the space to shine. They, mm-hmm. There's just this... It seems like there's just this epitome of respect between them. It's never just Gene Kelly. Right. Yeah. Which you would almost expect because he was he was the bigger star, but he doesn't do that. Yeah, I love that about him. In any of the scenes where any of the dance numbers Mm -hmm. where he's with another person, he's never outshines anybody. He's very generous with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should mention really quick: there was another deleted scene before the elocution lesson, and that was uh, Debbie Reynolds' solo number, which was was "You Are My Lucky Star." She went through the whole lot, like the whole Monumental Pictures back lot, and uh, sang this, uh, You Are My Lucky Star. She sings it to the sign of Don Lockwood, because there's a picture, there's a billboard of him and and Lena for their next movie. And what's funny is, you know, that number is brought back at the end. It's reprised at the end, but it's not in the movie anymore. So, so that sounds like the last shot. Yeah. So uh, exactly, it is. It, it's a, it was a re, It was it was bringing it back to that. So now that the movie that's not in the movie, it's uh, it, and I understand why it's not in the movie because it would have slowed the pacing down. And especially after we've just had you know the beautiful girls number, which does that in its own way. Uh, so it mm-hmm. might have been too much, but the, uh, fortunately that sequence still exists. A print of it still exists. So it's on the uh, it's on the DVD. I don't know if it probably transferred over to the Blu-ray. So if you if anyone is interested in seeing uh, Debbie Reynolds scene uh, doing that, but then we have your favorite scene. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this is fantastic. It's brilliant. The comedy in this scene is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, pretty. You know, this movie also sort of started this belief that movies for early talkies were just completely locked down like this and some were some were filmed this way where you actually had like some prominent object that had a microphone inside of it and the camera was just still and locked off and there are some early films where you see that and it's like the camera was suddenly just 
so still again um, after having been completely unchained in the late silent era. <laughs> so this scene, keeping having to explain, it's like how the microphone works to Lena and to Don. You know, Don is screwing it yeah. up too. Um, so what 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 do you love about this? The first scene? time, the, the first time the microphone is is in the bush in front of them, which into the bush, which is hilarious because I'm immature. But... <laughs> 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 but just the way that they have to keep moving the microphone around and like they're still trying to do the same style of acting that they did with silent mm-hmm. movies of course mm-hmm. obviously because they don't know anything different yet and so <laughs> just every time she has to keep turning her head away and back and it only captures some of uh, it and yeah. yeah they move it from the bush to um <laughs> some big random flower on her chest right and then you can hear heartbeat. her heartbeat through it so they got to move it again yeah. <laughs> to the shoulder and it 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 culminates even more in the scene where they actually like premiere the movie, the movie for other people to watch, which is so fucking hilarious. Again, yeah, I just I don't know why I love that scene so much because it's it's like perfectly done to show, you know, um, this movie is both of these movies that we're talking about today are about innovation, yes, and the struggles that come with that. I think is a big like main yeah. point of both of them, and this scene is definitely representative of that, like what they have to do in terms of their acting styles and their speaking styles, you know, everything had to, had to change to go from silent to talkies. Yeah. And they do it in a funny way, but where you can also see like how much of a struggle that must've been for them, for some people at that time. Sure. You know? And, you know, I mean, and, and for directors and, and camera people, yeah. you know, um, for everybody. Yeah. Not just the actors for everybody. Yeah. So. Okay. Again. Quiet! Roll them! What? Dana, we're missing every other word. You've got to talk into the mic. Well, I can't make love to a bush! All right, all right. We'll have to think of something else. What are you doing? You're being wired for sound, dearie. What? Now, Miss Lamont, watch out for those dentalized D's and T's and those flat A's. Well, everybody's picking on me. And it's it's a little bit, I mean, honestly, by the early 30s, even 1931, you had some really innovative filmmakers, you like, like uh, William Wellman, for example, who he just said, okay, you know, I want to I want to do this tracking shot with this actor. So I'm going to take this broom handle and I'm going to put the mic on the end of it mm-hmm. and I'm going to track. I'm going to move the, the microphone with the camera. And that was a huge, and you, have a it, you have a boom mic now, huge yeah. innovation and things that we completely take for granted is the fact that the camera can move while sound is happening. In, so even even by like 1931 or so, watch if you see some of those early movies. You know, Dracula is a bad example because the camera does stay still a lot. But Frankenstein, you got a lot more things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more subtlety of sound. Uh, the Public Enemy, J- uh, James Cagney movie, is a great one to just show people that don't like old movies because it is <laughs> th- it's a it's a vibrant and uh, this, 
overlapping sound and things that were new and hard to do back then, but they make yeah. it work and it's so good, you know? And so by the early thirties, a lot of these problems had been started to be worked out, but here you just see the pain of it. And at that preview, yes. the preview sequence is one of the funniest <laughs> and most heartbreaking <laughs> sequences. Yeah. Ever because I mean she comes down and she's she's rattling her pearls and they just sound like yes. boulders you know and um, he throws his cane and you can hear it clunk on wood when it's supposed to be stone you know and then the best part is the yes 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 <laughs> when it gets no, out of no 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 and it gets out of when sync the film gets yeah. out of sync oh yeah and then the I love you I love you I love you I love you <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, Which, again, is something that would work for mm-hmm. a silent picture, mm-hmm. but they kind of realize that that doesn't translate very well to talking pictures. Yeah, and you can so. see they're, they're kind of riffing on, you know, like Douglas Fairbanks Jr. movies and sure. things like that. Yeah. Uh, Rudolph Valentino and sort of these swashbuckler kinds of movies. <laughs> and those, again, were people that didn't really have big careers after, after sound came along. Um, and these were the biggest movie stars in the world. And suddenly, you know, they're the waxworks, you know, sitting around Norma Desmond's poker table or, or having played bridge with Norma Desmond in, in Sunset Boulevard. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, another movie that I'm sure we're going to talk about. <laughs> oh, hell yes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, disastrous preview, Cosmo and, and Kathy and Don are kind of commiserating in Don's house. Yeah. Yeah. Another favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a couple favorite parts, I think. Yeah, and, and, and they come... I do love this number. This is probably my favorite this is... dance song number. Yes, I think so, too. I, this is the one that... Just the, seeing the three of them together in this in the good morning sequence is what we're talking about. Yeah. Is incredible. And again, like I said, you know, having... The, this was the first thing that Debbie Reynolds shot. Oh, really? Yeah. She was, like like I said, um, she was a gymnast and had only had about three months of, of dance training. And Gene Kelly was hard on her. Uh, but her response was not to just clam up and, and shrink away, but to, like, I'll show him, you know, and to, and to do it. And she does it. And it's for, she, does it. she, yeah. she fits in flawlessly with these yeah. two seasoned lifetime dancers and she she i mean i'm not a trained eye on dancing but to me there's there's no there's nothing about it that makes me think that she's only had three months of training while they've had when i when i watched this and i read that she hadn't really done that much dancing before i was like i you could have fooled me because like yeah like you said she fits in perfectly with them and Mm -hmm. and again like not one person outshines the other Mm -hmm. and they each have their own little moment where they're kind of in the forefront but they all work perfectly together yeah. and the synchronization yeah. of the dancing is perfect and uh yeah i just there's one part that i always remember because like one of my favorite videos on the internet is when somebody um took that song uptown funk yeah. and um made like a music video out of it by using uh dance sequences from old movies oh, cool and there's just one part that just like goes perfectly with that song when they're running around to the cat. They do the somersault over, over the, couch the couch, yeah, and then run up and and do that one. I just always remember that part and just yeah, again with the way that the 
camera follows them and, and doesn't cut and yeah. you're just watching it them do their thing and it's it's joyous and vibrant and again i think yeah. it's like again four or five another one of those it's like four or five cuts in the whole sequence i think so yeah and debbie reynolds you know you know i think people give stanley donan and and uh gene kelly a lot of shit for this because she worked so hard uh, debbie reynolds worked so hard in the sequence that her that her feet uh started bleeding Blood. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I get, I, 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 I empathize for it, but Debbie Reynolds has never been like, oh, woe is me. Because I think she knows that, honestly, Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor, when they were learning how to do this stuff, I'm sure they danced until their feet bled too. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard work doing this sort of stuff. And to make it look so effortless is, is pretty magical. Obviously, I mean that's that's really tough. I mean, if you're if you're blistering your feet and they're bleeding, I mean, obviously her shoes were not as she's wearing high heels where they're not. I know. You know, <laughs> the second when I watched this for the second time after reading all of that, I was just kind of like watching her feet the whole time oh. and like paying attention to her shoes. Like, okay, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Look at those shoes she has to wear for this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, honestly, though, I mean, men's dance shoes, they're not extraordinarily comfortable <laughs> either. Uh, not in 1952. But anyway, it's its an incredible sequence. And again, all of them, it's just like they're floating. It's wonderful. And you just... It's beautiful. Astonishing. Then, um, then we have the most famous number in the movie, by far, uh, which is the Singing in the Rain. Mm. Oh, yeah, that one. That one. That one. Um, <laughs> The titular number. Yes, yeah, like what? What can you even say about this number? It's, I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's, it's absolutely perfect. It encapsulates all the joy of falling in love and and just what the movie mm-hmm. means. And it was filmed during the day. <laughs> it's that whole artifice thing wow. again. I mean, they put it. There was a big canopy over over the street. Use the sprinkler systems. At four o'clock, apparently Culver City would all water their lawns at the same time, and they would lose all their water pressure. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they had to had to film it over a couple of days uh, to get that. Gene Kelly was sick while filming it. At like a hundred and one temperature or something. Yeah, again, it's that it's that artifice, it's that magic, you know, that yeah. it's just it. You know this stuff, but it doesn't matter in the moment. It doesn't matter. You don't see it. Yeah. You just feel the joy. Like my favorite shot, I mean, is when he just, his face is, you know, I'm, I'm happy again, right. you know, and the rain is falling on his face and he's smiling. Kind of that, like, kind of that overhead I feel shot. It. I feel it too. Yeah. You've made me feel it. It's that overhead shot that was, that was, I mean, it's the same shot as the Shawshank Redemption. You know, when he comes <laughs> right. down, he's standing in the rain and he holds his arm up. It's the same yeah. shot. Um, sure. And I, I didn't even think about that until now, but it is. And, um. <laughs> And I, my favorite part of this has always been, for some reason, when he just suddenly stops sort of doing the graceful dance, he just starts splashing in the puddles. Stomping in I the puddles. I love yeah. that. It's just like, just <laughs> this total exuberance. Then he grabs the umbrella and he's just swirling around in the street. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. This movie I, is about as close to perfect as movies get for me. I think so. Then, uh, then we kind of... So they're, they've come up with the, their whole plan. They're, they're going to dub Lena with... Kathy's they're gonna make voice. the dueling. They're gonna make the dueling cavalier the dancing, dancing cavalier. cavalier and make it a musical now. Mm-hmm. And but then they were like, "Uh, crap! Lena can't talk or sing." Yeah. So yeah, they come up with the idea to use Kathy's voice. They use Kathy's voice, and this is what's 
interesting is they go into this sort of montage sequence where the song Would You is being used. They're showing Lena singing it. They're showing Kathy singing it, showing the sequences being reshot uh, in the costume drama stuff. One of the things that I, that I just learned this, it turns out for this song and for Lucky Star at the end of the film, someone named Betty Noyes actually sang this and not Debbie, Debbie Reynolds. So there's actually a little bit of a touch of what's going on in this movie happening in <laughs> real life for the film, um, which is a little bit mind-blowing. Uh, I can see why. Uh, her voice, they give it a little bit mature, more mature sound because yeah. when it comes out of Gene Hagen's mouth, I think it probably fits the way she looks it matches a little better. better. Yeah. Whereas, um, of course, Debbie Reynolds does sing Good Morning. She does sing Singing in the Rain at the end of the, the, of the movie. Um, so it's not like her voice is completely out of the film, but she does have a much more youthful voice. Um, and so I can see why they do it. Um, but there's that little touch of irony happening there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then the modern section. This is uh, this is an interesting sequence. To me. This is one that's grown up. This is up. where it kind of slowed it down a little bit for me. Yeah. But then it got really, really good at the end. <laughs> this is one that's grown on me the more I've seen it. This is a throwback a little bit. This is this was a trend that was happening in musical films at the time. And the one that I can think of that really kind of started this happening, as far as I know, and I could be wrong here, was uh, uh, The Red Shoes, uh, the Powell and Pressburger film. Because there's this sequence in the middle of it that's just this long ballet where they just... It, it stops the story and just shows the, the ballet, The Red Shoes. It's done in lots of other movies around this time. And I watched it in a little bit different way this time. I realized, oh my gosh, Don Lockwood is telling his own story in this sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously with there's, there's a gangster involved in this case, but, you know, <laughs> it's sort of a reiteration of the early, of the early sequence done in sort of this modern Broadway style dance number. And just this idea it's, again, it's it's so beautiful to look yeah. at, so colorful. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> this was filmed on. They combined two of their biggest stages into one. It was the size of more than two football fields to shoot this. Because there's these sequences where they show him back behind all the signs come on, and they're, he's just like a little tiny figure down in on, in the center of the, mm-hmm. of the stage, and the camera comes down, and all these people rush in and stuff. It's really astonishing i love that whole idea of this you know the gotta dance gotta dance gotta dance thing he's knocking on all these doors he's young and hungry yeah. and he performs in this dance hall and sid charisse in that green flapper outfit with legs that <laughs> I mean, whoa quick wow. yeah i like this part of the movie more and more uh, every time i see this movie and i love and it's just all these different kinds of things you know being drawn together, you have the little nod to the old 1932 Scarface with the uh, yeah. flipping of the coin. He actually has a scar. He on actually his face. has a scar yeah. on his face in that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like flipping the coin. Yeah, um, just like all the extras too, and all the costumes oh, of the extras. Yeah. Especially that one part where it's there's so many like women and and the extras, and they're all wearing like the same kind of dress, but all a different color. Yeah. <laughs> And then it just adds so much visually to that part. Yeah, and and you know the 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 song itself, you know the Broadway rhythm, it's got me everybody dance. I mean, it's just like it's mm-hmm. it's probably from a musical 
standpoint, I mean, as a musician, it's probably the best, most complex written song in the piece, in the whole movie. Um, but it's one of the hardest to listen to <laughs> because it yeah. is sort of rhythmically challenging and all these sorts of things. So I'm not going to say it's not the too. it's not the best it's not the best song um, I don't think at all but it musically is probably the most complex and and um, interesting in a lot of ways. But when it gets to the ballet part, oh, it is so beautiful. I had I had never seen even a single frame of this scene before. I was like, why is this not talked about more? Because this is gorgeous. Yeah, that dance with of the veils with that long white veil. I was like, this is. So amazing how they did this again with the way it's like long cuts and you're dealing with this huge piece of fabric mm-hmm. blowing in the wind and the way they work around that is yeah. so there's so much talent again involved and effort it looks effortless it does and you know it probably absolutely was not <laughs> behind the scenes having to yeah I'm place sure it the wasn't. bands in exactly the right places have them at the right mm-hmm. speed and right distance at exactly the right moment or it would go in the wrong yeah. direction and all sorts of things. You know, have you seen the Hudsucker Proxy? Yeah. So there's a sequence in the Hudsucker Proxy where uh, Tim Robbins' character has a dream of this, that he's in this perfectly white stage dancing around and this woman in a black dress, in that case, with these veils is running through the scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I was like, mm-hmm. oh. So when I, I saw <laughs> this after I had seen Hudsucker, so I was like, oh, my gosh. And so um, <laughs> that I loved that part. And then, you know, just Sid Charisse is this mysterious presence is so captivating. She's not in it yeah. for more than a few minutes, but it's just so memorable. And then, you know, because it shows him kind of going up through this. He's starting out in the dance hall thing again and going to these sort of higher class. He was on vaudeville. And then he's on sort of this higher society and they sort of change the way the music sounds as he goes to these higher society kinds of things. And this last sequence, he's just like all the joy of dancing is gone for him. He's not even dancing anymore. He's walking because the dance numbers stop and he's just walking. And I love that because he walks out the door and a young kid comes in and go with the suitcase and the nerdy glasses and the hat again and it's like, gotta dance, and he just doesn't sing it. It's like, <laughs> suddenly remembers why it was he started doing this in the first place. Yeah, That struck me, because there's all that that joy of why did you start doing this or that thing that you love in the first place, and sometimes you, you kind of lose the joy of it, you know? You get, mm-hmm. you get into the mundanity of it all, and just being reminded of why you love to for me, doing music can get really exhausting. I haven't, I don't remember the last time I picked up my guitar, which is really sad. I've been mm-hmm. playing since I was six yeah. years old, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, and sometimes it's like, oh, I gotta write this or something like that. It's like where it feels like work, you know, and where it mm-hmm. should, these aren't my job. I mean, this is like, it should be because I want to do it, you know, because of that feeling. I remember trying to remember the feeling I got when I first started doing some of these things you know and that sort of struck me in this feeling of this yeah that even makes me think of this watch i remember watching this movie for the first time it was another one of those oh right this is why i love movies yes kind of moment yeah because I, I admit i was a little 
probably a little cynical about watching it. It's like, ah, oh, this is a musical again, you know, it's like mm-hmm. not usually my thing, but sometimes it works for me. And then I was just like, oh, <laughs> no, this is just absolutely perfect. Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is why I love movies. Just the, the craft of the filmmaking and the actors and the feeling that it gives you the whole way through. Like, I, I, can't imagine anybody not loving this movie. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. Because this is joyous. And this is why I love movies and love life. <laughs> it's because of Singing in the Rain. I swear to God. Yeah. I... It def- Maybe not because of it, but it definitely helps. Like we said, if you're down, like th- this movie could probably lift you right back up. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. I know there's so much that's been said about it. What do we really have to add? But it's just like, right. it's, if this conversation can convince someone to watch this movie for the first time, yeah. then I feel like, all right, we've done our, we've done our job, you know, it's with a movie like this, mm-hmm. because it's just, it was life changing to me and how I saw musicals, frankly, because before this, mm-hmm. I'm like, I saw, I, I had seen lots of musicals before, but nothing quite like this one. You know, and this was an era of musicals that only lasted a little while, really, and um, and then was gone. I mean, musicals keep on, they sort of exist in these little capsules of time where they're just this one thing for a while, and then suddenly they're gone on to something else, you know? Then, then, we, uh, then it just sort of rolls its way toward the end after that, and so we find out Lena has... Uh, has decided that she is going, has found out about this whole thing that they're doing. And uh, it's like, I'm going to make Kathy, Kathy might as well um, just keep dubbing my lines and, and my, and my songs for me and do nothing else. You know, I'm going to ruin her career is essentially what she's going to do. Yeah. And if you don't do this, I'm going to own Not letting Kathy's name be known. Yeah. yeah. It's a big thing. Because she, because Kathy has a five-year contract. Yeah. Which, okay, it also made me think, because like, okay, really? How long do you think you can keep this up without the public ever hearing your voice? <laughs> your right. real voice. Right. <laughs> so she wasn't really thinking through that well, I think. And, you know, it's funny. This this is a side note. But um, there's a there's a moment towards the end of the movie where, where you actually see Kathy's voice come out, quote-unquote, Kathy's voice come out of Lena's mouth on the film because she's been dubbed. That was actually mm-hmm. dubbed with Lena Hagen, uh, I'm not Lena Hagen's, <laughs> Gene Hagen's real voice. So if you ever wonder what what uh, Gene Hagen really, really sounded like, <laughs> you can hear it in this movie because she's actually dubs herself in in for the spoken so for the spoken lines. Uh, one of them is nothing can keep us apart. Our love will last till the stars turn cold. That's Gene Hagen's real voice. Uh, <laughs> again, so I'll have to watch it again to hear that. And it's just one of those. I didn't catch that at all. Funny little works. Then we get to the to the second premiere of the movie. It goes much better. Yeah, and it goes much better, of course. And oh, before that, there was a, one of my favorite lines in the movie uh, is where Lena says, "I make more money than Calvin Coolidge put together." <laughs> um, anyway, great line. <laughs> then Lena actually comes out and gives her speech, and people are like. Well, that's not the voice we heard in the movie. And they're in the background going, oh, no, no, no. No, just let her let talk. Her talk. Let her talk. Yeah. <laughs> just let, let her sink herself. <laughs> and they pull up the curtain, and there's Kathy, who's the one who's actually singing uh, while she's lip syncing. And then Cosmo comes in and sings part of it, too. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's it's sort of 
the end of Lena's career, we assume. It's a good way to take her down. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of letting her sink herself. Yep. And uh, then, then it has the lovely happy ending where Don and, and Kathy get together and they're making their next movie together, which is, happens to be called Singing in Singin the Rain. rain. <laughs> um, so it's... I love that final shot. Yeah. The swelling of the music and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just also perfect. I think it's just <laughs> the best way to describe this movie is just perfection and pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Like we said, we have a couple of quibbles with a couple of things here and there, but but those are so minor. They they in no way diminish my enjoyment of this movie. Okay, I don't have anything more to add. It's uh, unless you have anything more you'd like to say about Singing in the Rain. I think we <laughs> covered quite Not a really. bit there. Not really. I just don't know how to transition from singing in the rain to one cut of the dead. <laughs> well, they're really about, um, again, I mean, it's that agony and ecstasy of making a movie. But in this case, we see the movie first. Oh, God, this is so brilliant. Okay, so I had to go along with this topic of making a fake movie. We had um, a couple of other like really great maybe more well-known movies on tap that i wanted to do but when someone mentioned um one cut of the dead for this um on our twitter thing we were both like oh okay yeah 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 Yeah. because we both love this Mm -hmm. and again it brings out the same kind of joy i think even though it's completely different kind of movie yes um completely different subject matter it it does bring about the same kinds of uh, joy that singing in the rain does and um, I said before that this was the first zombie movie to make me cry. That's not true. It was actually trained to the song. Yeah. But <laughs> that would make me cry. Yes. This one makes me cry in a in a happy cry way. Yes. And I think everybody who, who saw it, who gave it a chance, who really had no idea, I think, that this is what the movie was about. It's another, I think it was kind of like Singing in the Rain. Like, people, if people didn't really know what it was about... Mm-hmm. They probably would have watched it sooner. Right. Do you remember, like, around when this was kind of first making the, the rounds, when it was more widely available, there were so many people that were like, okay, I'm, like, 20 minutes into this, and it's not really doing it for me. Like, should I keep going? And everyone was like, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 okay. yes, absolutely. It was, it's so funny, but it's, like, so frustrating at the same it time. Is. Like, yes, keep watching. I swear to you. But that's also like that's a good thing if you're watching it and not knowing yeah. what's going on. But it can if it if it doesn't work for you, if you don't keep going, you're not gonna get that payoff. And this movie has an amazing payoff. Cause all the way through. Not just like at not even you have to wait till the end. Like just all the way through it everything pays off. If you can get through that first thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. So this this hit shutter around sometime I think I wanna say September of of 2019. I have no idea. I remember that because this movie was my first review. I, oh, yeah? Um, I, so this movie means a lot to me for a lot of different reasons. I had reached out to a friend and I said, you know, hey, I, I've always really wanted to write about movies. And he said, okay, um, write me something. Uh, write a review of something. Okay. So I, I went and I... I had heard of this for something and I, and I watched it thinking and like the first 30 minutes, I was like, I don't know what to write about this movie. It's like, if this is it, this is, this is weird. I I don't, I don't know what this is. And then, and then, and then it ended. The credits started rolling at 30 minutes in. I'm like, what? 
I thought it was a ninety-minute movie, and and then it then it goes to what it's really about, and it was like, oh, and, I know. And it was I was still confused for a while. So this was my first review. I this friend sent it over to to Ryan over at Ghastly Grinning, and Ryan was like, I haven't run. That's right. Yeah, Ryan's awesome. Uh, Ryan was like, I haven't had a review of this one yet. Would Brian mind if we ran it? It's like, are you kidding me? So my exuberance and joy at watching this movie is sort of paired with my exuberance and joy of having the first of anything of mine put out there publicly. So Hey, that's a good feeling. Yeah, and so this is... I get it. I, I, I still remember showing my wife the email, you know, and just... Because she was reading to my daughter, <laughs> and, I, and I showed us a, And it was just the most amazing thing. And it was, again, that whole gotta dance thing, you know, that, that we were talking about <laughs> in that earlier thing. It was that sort of feeling. And, oh, what's crazy about this? So, yes. again, we got to say, I got to say it one more time. If you haven't yes. seen if this haven't movie, <laughs> go watch it before listening to this because we're going to spoil it. You cannot talk about this movie without spoiling it. Yeah. So, yeah, the structure of this movie is so brilliant. It is. Me. It is the way they did this. I cannot believe that they someone thought of this mm-hmm. and that they pulled it off in a way that works so well. Yeah. I mean, okay, so the movie starts off. You're watching um, a typical kind of zombie movie, pretty much. You know, it's few people in a, some kind of abandoned warehouse or whatever, and it's it's thirty minutes of this just a typical running around and pretty bad from the zombies. Zombie yeah, it's not. It's not super great right yeah you're watching it going it's not super great that was my my (laughs) conundrum with watching it the first time i was like okay they're not showing any of the like there are no effects i mean it's just sort of you see the blood splatter around and it looks it's it's super simple story it looks kind of low budget and it's not like horrible it's not unwatchable because i think the the way that they're doing it in a single take That always kind of draws me in and, and keeps me watching at least. And you're like just most of the actors using yeah, that yeah. that method. And you're like most of the actors are decent, and I mean some. Yeah. And you're but then then they're like these weird shots that linger in one place <laughs> for a really long time, and you're like, I never noticed. I never noticed. You that. didn't notice? Oh man, no. The first time I was watching this, I was like, Why are they holding so long? <laughs> and why is she holding the axe there like? Four times before she actually hits him, and uh, all these things. It was. Yeah. I, I was so confused. I mean, so whether you notice it or yeah, yeah, whether you notice any of that or not, like it's it's kind of it is kind of weird to watch this yeah. because it's it's not horrible, but it's also not the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And especially if you you're watching the movie because of the praise you've heard about it, you, you're not getting it mm-hmm. at all. Like why people love it so yeah. much. But um, there is kind of like Amer now. From Shadow of the Vampire yes. here, there's a crazy director. Uh-huh. So this is a, it's a film within a film within a film. Yes. I love that about <laughs> it. It's like, this it's a movie about making a movie about making a movie. And it's that. And then, yeah, after 30, after 30 minutes, the title, uh, one kind uh-huh. of bit comes up in credits and you're like, huh? And they're all in <laughs> Japanese. I mean, so you, so you don't necessarily, unless you are a Japanese speaker, you don't necessarily know. And you assume it's just the credits saying the actors, right? And then it has this really weird ending to that where you hear someone say, okay, cut. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, I thought the movie, when the first time I saw this, when they pulled up and you see her standing on, on the 
on the uh, pentagram thing. The pentagram. I was like, oh, yeah. it's going to be some sort of magic spell thing. They're taking this in a whole new, different direction. Then it ends. I was like, <laughs> what? I was so confused. Well, they had mentioned the spell before. They had mentioned the spell and before. And, and I thought they were going to... They didn't really explain anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, and you, you watch this and you go, okay, this, this guy is like, this is like, is this a satire of like, this crazy director, you know, and the, someone will do the, go about their vision absolutely, you know, the expense of everyone else, you know, and, you know, yeah. like Shadow of the Vampire. Keep shooting. Keep shooting is, no matter what. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. if someone dies, Capturing keep reality. going. And, and sort of a... <laughs> That's the face I was looking for. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sort of... <laughs> the real fear. And then it's sort of a spoof of, like, found footage to some extent and, and, and yep. all these sorts of things. You're like... So it's very confusing at first. The first time I watched yeah. it, oh, I was so confused. <laughs> and then... But as soon as it cuts to one month ago... Yes. And you see the director, he's actually a director, you start to kind of get, like... Oh, okay. Huh. Okay. So this was a movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. I get that. Oh, but I just love how it just, it keeps going on from there. It's not just a movie within a movie. Yeah. It's, but yeah, you, you meet the, the director. Um, I'm going to be terrible with names. I don't know how Higurashi, I think is the director's name. It's Takayuki uh, Higurashi. Higurashi. Yeah. Played by. Um, so he's got, he's got a job mm-hmm. on another set that he's working mm-hmm. on. Um, some random scene that yeah. he's filming on a rooftop with a guy in a wheelchair crying yeah. i think it's some for like some uh soap opera type show yeah and and one or or it's I, it might have even been supposed to be like a commercial or something i can't remember exactly something I, yeah, yeah i couldn't, they, they, I couldn't tell exactly what it was explain it one of the things that one of the little details that's important though is they use the eye drops in it in his eyes yeah. to, to, <laughs> to make the tears that's something that i keyed into a lot more this time around was that little detail yeah. of the eye it, drop thing. it comes up several times yeah, yeah. But he's approached um, on the set by some producers because mm-hmm. they have a, a new project that they're thinking of him for. And one thing that I keyed on to in this was the way that he describes himself. The director describes himself as fast, cheap, but average. Yes, I keyed into that too. And that becomes very important, yeah. I think, to the whole movie. I think so too. So then um, the producers tell him that their big idea that they want to do is they want to make a zombie film in one long take, no cuts, and do it as a live broadcast on TV. And he's kind of like, <laughs> he thinks, I don't think he so. He thinks they're joking. He thinks they're joking. <laughs> no, man, that's not possible. <laughs> and then we get the real credits. And then it's like, ah. One cut of the dead. That has got to. That's like forty minutes in. That has got to be the longest yes. pre credit sequence, <laughs> right? Ever in a movie, and it's so perfect, though. I love the. For me, the one of my favorite sort of side characters is is the female producer. She's always got this massive smile on her face. She's hilarious to watch during the the live broadcast. Yes. They they cut to the scenes back to the producers. She's so funny. She's so <laughs> I love funny. her. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then we kind of get into, after the the real opening credits, yeah. <laughs> we get into the story of them trying to make this happen. And we meet the director's uh, family, his daughter, Mao, who also wants to be a director. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of awesome. She's like one of those like little punk kind of teenagers, as we were talking about. She wears some awesome t-shirts in this movie. 
She does. You see her wear a, uh, you see her wear a Scarface shirt, a taxi driver shirt, uh-huh. and the a shirt for The Shining. So she says sort of this, there's a couple of, I thought about that a little bit more as I was watching it again this morning, and, and it's like she's really into like auteur filmmakers and sure. method actors. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of important. When you first meet her. That's very important later, <laughs> when you, too. When you meet her, she's talking to, she's on another project, and she's talking to a little girl actor. <laughs> about using the fake tears yeah. again she's like you don't really need to do this you can you can feel this she's like a little seven-year-old yeah. girl and her mom comes <laughs> she's up basically like yeah the, mom's the mom comes like, up crazy, the director says the director says we can use uh the eye drops and she says but this is a battlefield <laughs> like, right, exactly. it's like it's a battlefield within herself you know and it was just this this very sort of you know, auteurist kind of thing, something you could imagine, you know, Stanley Kubrick or something right. like that saying to, to someone, you know. But you can see the, the passion that Mao has, yes. you know, and she's a little over the top about it, but she has the same kind of passion that her father does. You know, she wants to do the same thing as her father. So they have a, they have a connection in that yeah. way, but they, at the same time, they don't really seem connected at first. To me, it seems like she has the same kind of passion that her father did. Did have, sure. Yeah, okay, I, yeah. I, that's a better way to put yeah, it. Yeah, so again, I mean, this is this is one of the things that links these two movies. I mean, the the big gotta dance sequence. There's that there's that connection back again to loving the thing. Why you love the thing you first fell in love with, and then how you can lose yeah. it. In when you're just doing the job for a yeah, long time. Yeah, so that's that's basically what the director it feels like he's been doing. He's just yeah. taking on all these little jobs, and mm-hmm. he takes on this. I don't know why do you think he agrees to do it because he just needs a job, or do you think he's he doesn't really seem like he believes in himself to do something so challenging, yeah. but well, he still does it. Well, one of the things his wife says is. Uh, you don't have the guts to say no. True. Yeah. <laughs> which is which you see which you see that in in several scenes uh-huh. throughout. Because he's kind of, he, he's really The way passive. he talks to the producers and the actors. Yeah, the way he talks to the producers and the other actors is very passive and not, like, yeah. as commanding as a director should be, probably, you know? Especially on something in that has, has a certain amount of demand to it, like the, the film mm-hmm. they're making. And you kind of learn stuff about his wife, which is important <laughs> later on. She used to be a famous actress, and not so much anymore, which you find out why later on um, and she's it feels it kind of feels like they all have something to prove in a way they do through this making this zombie movie and i never really keyed in as much to that before i really pay attention the the daughter the father and the mother yes they all do and because the mother is she's taken on all these random little hobbies mm-hmm. you know she's gotten into i forgot what all they were but you know now she's learning self-defense, self-defense. Yeah, so she's got all these little hobbies that she does to keep herself occupied, and the daughter is like, "Well, why aren't you acting? Like that's what that's what you did." So she, they all have so they all have something to prove, but this this project <laughs> is actually a good way for them to prove themselves, and also you kind of see it might be kind of difficult because in the first table read. Um, for the the <laughs> script, it, you you see all the the problems yeah. that, especially with some of the actors. Yeah, you have the you have the lead, some of the people behind the scenes. You have the lead actor that was hired because <laughs> because the director is trying to make this connection with 
his daughter, with his daughter, and his, and his, his daughter's daughter a, a fan of this actor, yeah. and he's really pretentious. He's talking about how he's the script, how the script deals with racism, which it doesn't racism. at all. <laughs> um, and, he's reading way too much yeah, zombie script, and just the you know, there's this interview with him earlier where he's talking about how you know. I would confront a director if it if it was for the art, you know, and all this stuff, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then you have the uh, the female lead, uh, the female lead actress who uh, is like, you know, there's something in the script, you know, where she says you can't, I can't yeah. be vomited on. <laughs> she's a pop star. I she's a pop star. That's right. Yeah. That she's not an actress. She's a pop star. Yeah. That's doing some acting so that obviously that she's not a trained actress maybe is also part of the problem and yeah her agency says uh i don't think i can be vomited on i don't think they would like that very much it's like it's not me it's the agency you know it's funny so there's that there's um there's a screaming baby that comes in with one of the actresses there's an actor who gets diarrhea really easily if if he if he drinks hard water he needs special water water. soft water um i i emailed you i emailed you about that oh yeah (laughs) i love that he said that twice yeah he says it twice i love that he's like but i but i emailed you about that i need i need soft water he's so cute But again, these are and then all you have things the, that pay off. Yeah, and then you have the, another actor. The I think he plays the DP in the in the zombie movie. Yes, um, he's a drunk. He's a drunk, and he he's but he's alcoholic. also worked with uh, with the director before. He's the man in the wheelchair. Yeah, he was in the earlier he was the man in the sequence. Yeah, and then but there's also some other people that you see in these. I think this is. I know this is a lot of talking and setting up, but like all this stuff pays off. It does. I love it. That's so the much. thing is every there's detail. All the actors. Pays off in this movie. Every detail is yeah. important. Every single it's one. It's so tightly scripted. Because you have all the actors. And then another one that I, I paid attention to a lot in this this last viewing, too, was um, there was the main camera guy who was going to film yes. the broadcast. Um, he's got a bad back. Mm-hmm. And he's not, he's not sure at the beginning, you know, like if he's going to be able to do it. And he has this young uh, female assistant. Yes. Um, they have a scene where, you know, he's complaining about his back and he's like, I don't know. And she's coming up with ideas to him to say, like, of how he could do that. And she's like, you know, I could do it if, if you think you're not, you're not up to it. And he says specifically, you're not ready for this. Yeah. And so she's got something to prove, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And, ah, oh, God, I just love it. So much of this movie was about, I took that, I wrote that down, too. It's like, it was, it's about taking your chance. Exactly. And so yes. you've got the assistant camera person. You've got the mom getting back to acting because you you see that she wants to she wants to yeah. so bad yeah. you've got the daughter who wants to have her chance at directing you have the director who wants to prove himself because he's only done sort of this middling stuff that is not it's not really art and he wants to make art and he knows this isn't that he knows this isn't art but it's like maybe right. this is a chance to prove himself and that's why i ultimately yeah. think why he takes the job and the scene there's a specific scene i think where he he kind of realizes why he's really doing it yeah. too and it's when he's talking to the, the alcohol yes. guy i don't know his name i, I, like I wrote Hosada, it down I think it's, no yeah, Hosada. no that's the bald guy Hosada. I thought Hosada was the bald guy. No, Hos- no Hosada was the okay. was, was a drunk actor. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he's talking to Hosada, and um, he's telling the director about. He's kind of laughing about it. It's so sad because he's kind of laughing about how his drinking has really become a problem, yeah. 
and it's causing him to possibly lose his daughter. And, and he tells a story about how he was going to get to meet meet up with her one day, and he, he drank a little bit to calm his nerves. Right. And then he got so drunk that he missed the meeting. Yeah. And he couldn't meet up with his daughter. So he's he's like, oh, you know. And he tapes his her he picture said, into the front of his script. That's kind of an important yeah, detail, well, too. He, yeah, he tapes. He tapes because he said how he wanted. Daughter. He says how he he wanted to make his daughter proud of him. Yeah, and then it cut. It cuts right to the next scene of the director sitting there crying, looking at pictures of him and his daughter. Yeah, with the camera. Yeah, yeah. and this was this was that again that passion that he had for making these movies, whatever they were, even if it mm-hmm. was just shooting things in his backyard or or where or at the park or wherever. You know, it wasn't about uh, making a big deal. You know, it was just, I love just making these movies with my kid, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. That's what you see. They're it, just, in the picture, yeah, mm-hmm. in the pictures, they just have this, like, little red camcorder, but, yeah. and she's uh, sitting there on his shoulders, shoulders and, but they're, like, so happy because they have that, that connection. Yeah. And he wants to get that back, I think, is what, is what kind of motivates him, part of what motivates him to uh, to do this. Yeah, and then now comes. But then in. the daughter. Go ahead. Yeah, but but then the daughter is only really there because she wants to see her favorite crush right. actor, which she's not even really thinking about that. She does. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. And they weren't initially so they going show... to be on the set. I don't think. I think. I think now comes in and says the wife comes in and says mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, I have a favor to ask you." Essentially, and so it was basically, <laughs> "Can we come to watch you film?" Yes, yeah. and I, I think that was. And uh, of course he's going to say yes, because first of all, he's really that kind of guy. He's just amiable. And, but also, he really is desperate for a connection with, with his daughter again. I think now sees that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so they have, um, there's kind of like a little montage, uh, mm-hmm. I think, if you see them like rehearsing all of this. And yeah. they're in this in little studio rooms rehearsing. That's like It looks like they've got it down Looks like everything's going to go okay. And then the day of the live broadcast comes. Yes. And everything just tumbles one right after the other. <laughs> well, it starts out with that little line. It's just, a, it's almost a throwaway moment where Mao and Now are together. And the producer, the guy producer, is talking to them and says, Oh, mm-hmm. children grow up watching their parents because he's down there yeah. there um, with his she's camera and she's him, watching yeah. the actor instead. Yeah. And, um, but again, that's a really important moment. That's a really important line. There's yeah, so many details in this movie that are important to the overall effect of it. And then what happens? Yep. So then, <laughs> yeah, two hours before the live broadcast starts, the two main actors get into a car accident because ooh, they were having an affair behind the scene. They were probably in the same car together. <laughs> that doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's just kind of a funny thing. That's when everything comes crashing down because now the director and now have to step into those roles. Yes. And then we get into um, the filming of what you saw in the first 30 minutes. And oh my God, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this part other than like, I just, I love all the little nuances. Yeah. Oh my God. I could go through like each little scene. It's just, it's so detailed and so well thought out. It really is. And the way they filmed the behind of what you've already seen. Yes. Oh God, it's and again it's this so this is where the whole noises off of horror comes in, where oh where you see cause, the timing. Yeah, you've seen the play yeah. go. You know, you've seen the play go, and now you're seeing it backstage. 
And so yeah. you're seeing why all of a sudden, you know, now in character as as the makeup artist is talking about self-defense. It's because they have to stall <laughs> because I literally because they uh, because the guy that's playing this the sound operator has gotten diarrhea from drinking <laughs> from drinking hard water and he's out back taking a shit <laughs> and, so, and they're getting him in the zombie makeup and it's just oh my god well and even before that when the when the thing starts when 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 the director comes in and he just starts yelling at the actors that have been driving him crazy. Yes. It's like, what's he doing? He's improvising. It's like, you realize, oh, he's just he, letting yeah, it he yells all at the main. out. And he, and, he, and he pulls on the other guy, grabs his shirt, you little shit! <laughs> you know, I love yes. that stuff. Because it's like this amiable... <laughs> he's improvising. This, yeah, this amiable guy has finally, under the guise of this character, the director, able to let out everything he's been wanting to say to these people since the beginning yeah. of this process that's why it's so it's so fun to watch this this whole last part is like okay you didn't notice it but you noticed it but i didn't notice it like i said of all those like kind of awkward little shots where things kind of hold too long or they have a i didn't even notice like the totally out of place conversation about like oh so do you have any hobbies see i didn't <laughs> notice that the first time either because i thought that was just oh they're having a long conversation kind of thing it's exactly, just setting up yeah. this character setting setup but then you know exactly yeah so there <laughs> then you realize that happens for a reason uh -huh. like someone's holding up a placard that says something's wrong mm -hmm. improvise improvise <laughs> and, you, and then you can see it that second time when they all kind of notice it and they're like um uh, yeah, <laughs> but they do a great job improvising because I didn't notice it the first time around. Because you because know, they show their expressions <laughs> where they all kind of look at yes. the, the side. It's like why are they looking over there for no apparent reason? Um, it's very funny. This is a movie that just pays off in dividends on rewatch. Oh, so much. You know, so much. Um, more so than than most twist movies do. You know, because yeah. a lot of twist movies like. They'll take a second viewing, and then, then do you really need to see it again? Whereas this one, I think this you could watch this movie over and over and over and yeah. continually get more out of it. It pays off the most yeah. in rewatches, because all those little instances that didn't seem like a big deal mm -hmm. when you were watching those, those first 30 minutes... Yeah. You, you see when you see the behind the scenes of it it's just it's so much funnier and so much you kind of realize again the brilliance behind it how how the movie is structured and how well they make every single little thing pay off yes i i uh, i mean and and there's the whole thing where you know like osana's hands start shaking just before they start filming because now everything is up in the air it's different than it was because we have two new actors we have just different things happening and he starts getting nervous and he finds the bottle of sake that was yeah. brought in um to celebrate you know after the shoot is over and so i mean and you know, the whole thing about the vomit comes back because he actually vomits <laughs> on, on, on uh two of the actors and which is really gross but you know it's like there's even a little bit of like it on, white it's like white too yeah it's it's, it's like, yeah ew. there's like a little bit of it on the camera lens and there's, there's that funny thing, you know, where blood splatters onto the camera lens, so they have to wipe it off. And, and he it's has like, to wipe it off, it, yeah. It's this bizarre thing. And, 
you know, when, when the camera drops on the ground because the DP's back has gone out. Yeah. Um, and so the other DP picks it up and they cut to the control room. It's like, oh, we have a new DP. They, she's, they, no, they notice, they right, notice away. right away because she's doing the, the zoom in and the out of the zombie and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, they're running and they're falling over while they're, while they're running it. Holding the yeah. cameras. And There's one cute little part I like in that where she kind of stumbles mm-hmm. and she falls over into the bushes and the guy that's playing a zombie that she's she's following like helps, helps her up real her, quick yeah. and goes right back yeah. into playing a zombie. It just kind of... Another thing about this movie is teamwork, yeah. obviously, on a film crew. How well everybody knows their roles. Oh my god, it just... Because you watch um, all the, the places where the assistants have to have to hide yeah. and, and take the actors and quickly put them in makeup mm-hmm. and they know everybody's cues. Oh my god, they work so well together. I can't imagine the rehearsal of the planning of something yeah. like this. Well... For real, you know? No kidding. No kidding. And then we also find out why now quit acting. <laughs> <laughs> Because she is so they men- They mention it at first. Yeah, they mention it first that she really gets so into she, her roles. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out she loses herself in her roles to the point where she could be a danger to other people. <laughs> a homicidal danger. Almost. Yeah, it's like, I am calm. Dead calm. <laughs> Dead calm. <laughs> she, like, uses the line... From when she's talking to her husband, she uses the line from the movie yeah. in real life. And they, and that's when you know that she's lost it. And her whole self-defense thing, because everyone's trying to wrestle her down, she keeps going pop and getting pop, getting out of <laughs> getting out of their grip until you know two of them, you know, they put her in like a chokehold and get her to pass out so that they can they can put this axe in her head. Obviously, makeup. Then she just suddenly randomly pops up at one point um, yeah. when she wakes up and they knock her out again. <laughs> again, never noticed that when you're first watching no. the movie. It's so funny to watch what happens yeah. later on because nothing goes to plan uh-huh. in the original script yep. that they had. Nothing, like, yeah. They have to keep improvise around. They have to add in scenes like like that and where um she has to go in and pick up the axe right which now that line just feels like so she's like oh an axe that's lucky lucky for me yeah (laughs) you're like of course that should have seemed so wrong when i watched it but it didn't i know i know and then when she's hiding inside the shed oh that's my favorite and and, and the legs come in they're standing right over her and now we see he's holding up a sign that says grab an axe out of the out of outside That axe is waiting for you outside. Make sure you grab it. And then we go up on the roof and um, and the mom knocks the crane over that they're going to use for their closing shot. Yep. Uh, she knocks it off they, the They roof. show them beforehand. Yeah, they show them beforehand. They had set mm-hmm. up that big crane. Like, oh, this is going to be such a great shot to end yeah. it on. They're going to do a big overhead thing with the, the pentagram. Yeah. Boom, it's on the ground. Yeah. And so then um, they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then the daughter sees something in her father's script. She had an idea, too, before this. She she did, yes. she mentioned. She had the idea for the bald guy Mm -hmm. because he was kind of out of commission a little bit. (laughs) She takes over the director (laughs) role. Because of the water thing. 
She takes over the yeah, director role. Comes, so yeah. She was smart and she was thinking and she said, Oh, instead of this, you know, bring him back as a zombie. She's proven herself. Like this is what she wants to do, that she's proving that she can think on her feet and solve problems, which is what a director has to do. Yes. But yeah, when it comes to the crane shot, uh, first the director, um, he kinda stands up for himself too because he's in the little control room with one of the producers, the male producer. Right. And he's saying, Okay, the the crane broke we need some other way to do this shot. And the producer's like, oh, just, just cut the whole thing out. Like, we don't need that mm-hmm. shot. And the producer kind of has a little moment where he's like, uh, no, like, this is what I want to do. I, I want to have this shot. But then he immediately goes back to being passive again. He does. Yeah. And it, but it's nice to see him stand up for himself yeah. a little bit. Finally, you can see that you can see the passion. It's just waiting to come she out. She really does love this stuff. And, yeah. and that's that's one of the things. Is It's, again, you you, know, you see that glimmers, those glimmers of the passion he must have had when he first started come back. It's beautiful. The producer says to him in this scene, too, your average will do. Right. Because he had described himself before as fast, cheap, but average. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, no. You're just watching it like, no, he's definitely, pr- this is like the final thing. He's made it work up until then. He's... Up until then, you know, he's definitely proved that he's more than average, you know, to make this thing work. That's been falling apart one thing right after the other, like, since they started filming this live broadcast. And there's this whole idea, you know, because you have in the real movie, he's playing this character, this director character, that will get his vision at any cost, right? Whether it be Mm -hmm, lives or whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get my shot. He's doing the same thing in the real world of this, except it's not in a negative way. He's like, I'm going to get, we're going to, we're going to do this, but it's not an auteur thing. It's not, it's me. It's us. It's all of us. We're going to, yeah, are going to do We're going to work together to solve the problem. Yeah. yeah. I've been critical of the auteur theory on this show before a a little bit. Um, And I think there is such a thing as, as certain filmmakers who have a stamp that they put on film. There's no doubt about it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there is such thing, I suppose there, but even where you can watch a movie and you know, it's it's Hitchcock or or Kurosawa or, or whomever. That's true. But all of them worked with people who helped them make it happen. You know, this movie just says, okay, this this is not a singular vision. This is all of us making this happen together. And um, I need all of you to make this happen. And so when they create that human pyramid at the end. Oh, my God. And it's not working. You know, you've got the guy who's drunk still, you know, on the bottom and people climbing on top and they can't do it. And then the director. The one makeup, the one makeup artist keeps falling off. I love the way they cut back because, again, another thing in the original when you're watching the first 30 minutes is always kind of like when the zombie is coming after the main girl Uh and he kind of stops a couple of times. Yeah. And you think it's you think it's because you know she's finally reached out to the human inside Side of him, him. yeah. <laughs> but then you're watching what really happened, and it's just because nope, just just stall. We're hold, not quite ready. Hold, yet. hold. <laughs> then finally they cut his head off, <laughs> and then and then she, she she freaks out. He comes up, stick to the script, and you know, and she goes and she hacks him up with the director, hacks the director up with an axe. I think that was part of the script. Right? That was. It is. It is all yeah. part of the script. But it doesn't. But it doesn't look. It like doesn't it. look it like, it. like it. She's really lost it. Yeah, and and so when it's put into this, and, and then they show him, goes, all right, 
all right, this is great. This is great. You know, the, squirt the blood up there. Go, go, go. And then he runs over to this human pyramid that's being formed and, and he climbs up and his daughter climbs up on his shoulders with the camera and they hold it up in the air. Hold, 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 hold. And all of us have seen how long those credits last at the yeah. end of, of the movie of, of the one cut of the dead movie within a movie. So that is just perfect because you know how long they have to sit there in this pose. Mm-hmm. And it's, I hold my breath during that scene. I remember the first time I no, saw that's the part that makes me cry. Yeah. Not the last, not really the last couple of shots, yeah. but the scene where they're holding the pyramid makes me cry yeah. <laughs> because it's like, it's a culmination of everything, yes. you know, that has happened so far in the movie. It's, it's you see them as they are, as they have proven themselves as a team, mm-hmm. literally working together to make something happen. And I love the shot where it's like it's just straight on, like the last couple rows of the pyramid, and it's like all the guys with those zombie, zombie eyes, eyes, and they're, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of smiling, but they're also kind of holding. And and one thing we hadn't mentioned was um, the music. Oh right, the music is brings such a joy to the movie too i think because i can't really describe it you're probably better it's it's a little bit jaunty it is it is kind of upbeat it's and it's, it, it's pop it keeps you upbeat. it's pop music it, it, it's only during the closing sequences you know it's not mm-hmm. it's not throughout it's not in the uh, the movie within a movie itself yes it's not yeah. in a zombie movie it's yet. it's in the uh it's in what we're, we're throughout yeah but oh my god but yeah that human pyramid mm-hmm. um you just kind of you're watching it and you're looking at all it you can see all the faces of the people yeah. of they're at that last moment you yeah. know that they're almost done and they're counting down you know and they count down from like 15 mm-hmm. or whatever i literally i like i cry the whole way through cuz i'm yeah. like they're going to make it i know they're going to make it and you can see them yeah. they're all so happy you can tell each individual person like we've talked that we've mentioned yeah. you know that has something to prove yes. by getting this done you you see it in this moment that they've done it and you just and it's it's so happy. You see them makes me, all uh, just you know the after the after that you know the pyramid collapses when they get to one mm-hmm. and they're they're all on these mattresses and they you, you see them just sort of basking in the elation of we did it yeah and um, exactly then when the daughter hands him the picture of how she got the idea and it's a picture of of her sitting on his shoulders <laughs> that we saw earlier yeah. that he had taped into the front of his script just like the other actor had done with the picture of his daughter it is uh <laughs> it's so it does those close-up shots first of her like uh-huh. it's straight on mm-hmm. close-up shot from the daughter to the director yeah and them smiling at yeah. each other. God, that's making me cry like right now. It's so sweet. It's and, so and the happy. Thing, and I the thing is, he's like, it. he's like, he doesn't smile. He doesn't want to. And, and he just, he just, he's kind of trying to hide the smile, and it just breaks through completely. They're both like just beaming. Yeah. yeah. And and then even the closing credit sequence is great because they're playing a Japanese version of what is it? I want you back by the Jackson Five. And it's all in Japanese. <laughs> I think that's what the song is. And um, they're showing the actual filming, like the real filming of the movie. And it's completely they're showing the filming of filming the filming of the, of the filming. filming. Yeah, and it's 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 so it's it's the it's the crew, and they're they're showing you know the the actual DP sitting with the camera on the ground. He's getting a couple of drinks of water before because right <laughs> after that he has to bolt off running, you know, after this, and it shows him actually fall down. So they recreate that in the movies, just go with it and keep. Uh, it's it's really it's it's wonderful I mean and I don't think that kind of behind the scenes thing would work the same way on another movie 
it works. No. It, it, it just kind of takes it to this whole different level, and it's just the perfect way to end. And even though it's outside of the reality of the movie, it, it works so well. I mean, it's meta, 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 but it's um, it's amazing. This movie it really hit me the first time. It's it still did. I, I cried again at the end, and I had that same feeling of joy in it. Yeah. Kind of, it's kind of inspiring too. Makes you want to get out and do something, create something. It does, it does. And you know, watch it because I watched this. I'd only seen it once before. Then I watched it twice in the past couple days. <laughs> I just found myself not being able to take notes because I just keep getting wrapped up in this movie. Yeah. And um, the just sheer joy of it. The the tagline for. Singing in the rain is what a glorious feeling. It can apply to either it one of these. It applies to both yep. of them. Exactly. Yep, it absolutely does. And that's what that's why I think these this movie's maybe my favorite pairing. Because they really capture that glorious feeling so well together. Mm-hmm. And in a two movies that seem like they had nothing in common, hardly anything in common, to be so perfect in their way. I mean it's one of the reasons why I love doing this show. <laughs> you know yeah to to make it's not just it's the joy of of creation Mm -hmm. it's the joy of movies they're just both taking a a completely different approach but it's you get the same feeling by the end of both of these movies that's just pure joy and yeah i love it yeah i would also (laughs) i love how well i love how well this worked together even though it sounds at first like you're pairing what with what? I know, I know, and I I, I wrote this morning. It's like we're going to record us. in a bit. This works. We're going to record in a bit, and this is the most bonkers pairing we've ever done, and it is, but somehow perfect. I'm so glad we picked these. Oh, me too. And I know these weren't our original plan. Originally, we had a uh, two completely different movies planned for this slots mm, both of us yeah um and you know i actually changed no mine. way no way they would have been as much fun. I, I, I no way i changed mine twice i because no. yeah originally it was something else which i hope we'll get to that other one uh at another point yeah we'll get to all of them i think eventually because i i really do want to keep continuing on with this films about film filmmaking series that we've got started because even though we had like little um sub within that that we're gonna go with yeah. i think if we just do two random ones that fit into that category. It would be fun because yeah. it's just an awesome, fun thing to dive into. And there's so many different ways that other movies have done it. Yeah. Where, there's a lot to talk about. It's not just directing. It's not just acting. It's not just right. watching movies. It's the, the aspects of everything, you know. All right. But we won't. We, we got we to move on. We got to move on. So uh, let's go on to our weekly recommendations for this week. Um, I didn't really have anything. I'll go first because I didn't really have anything um, that big. Uh, since we did, uh, I watched my first Godzilla movie, as we saw in our last episode. Um, I was at the library not too long after that, and I happened to cross Shin Godzilla. So uh, I had to grab it. Because that's the one I've been really wanting to see. And loved it. It's so much fun. How much fun. How much fun is that? It's a different. <laughs> it was a lot different than I expected it when I saw it. It was. It, yeah. You know, it, it has sort it's of this. comedy. Yeah. And it's the first time you see Godzilla. I was like, what is this fucking googly eyed exactly. motherfucker? And what is he doing in my Godzilla movie? This is not what I wanted. <laughs> Yeah. But it was funny. And then as he evolves and 
changes oh that one the whole sequence where um i don't even know what it's called when he his radiation or whatever causes all of the purple light and lasers to shoot out uh i was just watching it like this is fun yeah (laughs) i am loving this now and all the 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 behind the scenes stuff when it cuts back to like the people trying to solve the problems uh the characters are just all so funny and it's a little bit long, but yeah, I, I was yeah. loving every second of it. It's a it's lot of just... Godzilla movies are a little bit long, if I'm being honest. But so, who cares? Yeah, you see Godzilla a lot. <laughs> exactly. It's like <laughs> a lot of them have have too much people stuff in it and need more right. city crunching. Um, I want more Godzilla. More Godzilla. Some of the effects didn't really no <laughs> goes looks so great to me, which. Yeah, but I didn't care. <laughs> Here's another thing where it's like, I didn't care because I'm watching Godzilla, and Godzilla's awesome. Yeah. So. I am so... I, I feel very gratified that <laughs> that uh, I was able to introduce you to Godzilla and that you enjoy it, you know? I know it's not going to... Oh, keep going. I know it's not going to be any uh, JCVD kind of thing but for you, <laughs> but maybe maybe somewhere... Maybe Rocky or something, you know? Maybe some, somewhere in that... in that terrain you know rocky hits me too yeah yeah yeah. Um, (laughs) i'm gonna keep going yeah because i've got two under the belt now yeah can't stop now all right well that's awesome all right right, what do you got well um i was gonna go for kind of a snarky one but i can't do a snarky one on an episode like this no no so i'm gonna recommend a short film that is um it's called one cut of the dead mission remote and it is on youtube last time i checked I forgot to watch that. It is about 20 minutes long. It's the same actors as One Cut of the Dead, but it's filmed all in quarantine, all over Zoom. It's not, it doesn't have any horror elements, really. It's very funny. It's very sweet. And in the end, it just was like, it again, just emotionally resonant, especially now that it came out towards the beginning of the whole quarantine. And now that we're, that we've been in it for most of us in some form for a, a year, year almost almost is it I, I haven't watched it again but I think it would mean even more now but yeah, it's 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 so much about, of it is about wanting that what it means to be a community when you see movies too I know a lot of people mm-hmm. sort of have been like who cares let's just watch movies at home now and I'm kind of like I would miss the act of going to the movies too much. Yeah. I mean, I know that some you get shitty audiences and stuff like that sometimes, but for me, the act of, because I, I haven't one example. I saw a movie about the making of another bad movie. Uh, I watched the disaster artists in the middle of the day. One time at this movie <laughs> theater, it was just me and one other guy in the whole theater and we were both just laughing our asses off during the whole movie. And it was like right. just this this communal aspect of this guy who was way across the room from me. Both of us just having this experience together. There was something about that that, you know, I think it would be really sad if we entirely lose the act of going to the movies. Because I have too many experiences of going to the movies that are so good. I have more bad than good but the good ones are really good yeah you know like getting to watch a horror movie with a bunch of horror fans yes at a convention you know for the first time something i'd never done and never gotten to watch it with some with people that could like 
yell at the screen and cheer and love all the same stuff I'm loving. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm feeling the community now. So, yeah. yeah, I've had lots of good experiences like that. And there was but. there was sort of a sad realization this week, you know, because uh, John Carpenter gave an interview about Halloween Kills, and he admitted that there's a distinct possibility that it would have to be released only in streaming. And, and that one I felt. I felt that one. And, and frankly... Mm-hmm. I feel missing. Speaking of Godzilla, I'm, the the idea of seeing Godzilla versus Kong on my I, yes I I know yes I have uh. a, I have a big TV and all seeing that a movie called Godzilla versus Kong on a big screen with an audience yeah that's true. it's like that was I don't know that's that's something I would have liked to have been <laughs> able to see but you know obviously we need to stay safe we need to be uh, doing good for each other, you know. So sure. so I, I I understand, but I but I am missing that a little bit. And I think I think um uh, one cut of the dead mission remote uh, really does sort of capture some of that. Uh, the way that, that this uh, that one cut um captures the uh, the elation of making a movie. Uh, that one sort of captures the elation of, of watching a movie. Watching a movie? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I like that connection. That's good. Okay. All right, so Next episode, we return. What we got going on? We return to our forever favorites for our second forever favorites episode, and uh, so we've each picked something. Now these are loosely linked. It'll be interesting to see how they how they pair together. They both are. I mean, they're both black and white. They're both, they're both black and white. They they. <laughs> That's one thing. They have. Um, they're both kind of horror. Kind of horror. One more so than the other. Horror or horror adjacent female. <laughs> is a key element of the of, of mine <laughs> less so than yours uh your yours uh, yeah. yours are their central characters mine she just uh is an icon so what are we picking um my forever favorite that we are doing next episode is 1955's diabolique i'm so excited to uh, see one of my absolute favorites obviously but this when i say like absolute favorite movies i'm like diabolique is I love it so much. I cannot wait to get into it and for you to watch it again because you yeah. said you've only seen it once, not too long, a while ago, right? It's been a long time. I may have seen it a second time uh, on a on a because I remember I remember seeing the I, I remember seeing it on DVD, so I must have seen it twice. I am very excited to watch this. Of of all of your forever favorites, this is the one I'm most excited to see again because it's been yeah. the longest. And I really want to dig into it. I know it's the most impactful in a lot of ways. And again, just like with mm-hmm. with One Cut of the Dead, make sure you see uh, Diabolique. Oh um, yes, very much <laughs> before before ne- before the next episode because we are going to spoil it, and it's a movie that deserves to not be spoiled. <laughs> again, I, I believe and it's on. I'm just H- looking up now where you can, yeah where you can watch it. It looks like it is on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prime is on the Criterion channel, obviously, because Criterion has a great... Does Criterion has a Blu-ray of this, right? Yes, they do. Okay, I can, I can never remember, because I have I have that, and I think I have the Arrow version, so I'm always like, which one's which? Yeah, and you can rent it on Prime. Looks like it's only like 99 cents to rent on Prime right now. Excellent. Or on Amazon, so that's awesome. Yeah, it's um, yeah HBO Max um, has a lot of the Criterion collection on it. Um, they don't have a lot of the sort of extras that the Criterion Channel has, but they do have a good portion of the actual Criterion releases. I've awesome. I've been I've been very happy with my 
subscription to HBO Max, I have to say. Okay, so my choice is uh, really a movie that, it's to me, I pick it because it's the representation of the best of the Universal Monsters, in my opinion, and I could not, in good conscience, conscience not include a Universal Monster movie, because these mean uh, the world to me. And so, uh, from 1935, uh, James Whale's film Bride of Frankenstein uh, is my choice. Yeah. I really am excited to hear what, what you have to say about this movie, to be honest. Because I think oh, yeah. I come at it from my perspective. I really want to hear it from your perspective, too, with this one. Okay. Because I think there are a lot of things that I that I don't know, you know, when I watch a movie like this. I mean, I've seen this movie dozens and dozens of times. Um, and I frankly can't wait to watch it again. Because <laughs> it's... I've seen it... I've only seen it like maybe three times. Yeah. yeah, it's not one that I've I've watched a whole lot. So yeah, I'm excited. But yeah, there are some kind of the uh, the modern interpretations of the film. I I, I can definitely see now. Yeah, <laughs> which we'll have to get into. And, and it, it's it's a it's a key it's a key element of the movie. And so I'm I'm actually going to mm-hmm. probably do a little bit of extra research into uh, into this a little bit just to make sure that I write about a few contextual things with it. Yeah, so Bride of Frankenstein is a masterpiece of horror from the 30s of this type of film. It's a comedy. It's a horror film. It's it's just sort of set the trend for a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, absolutely adore it. Um, you can find it uh, on Apple TV. These are all for rental, as it looks it looks like. Um, it's on Apple TV. It's on Amazon, YouTube, Fandango Now, Now, Voodoo, uh, Redbox. And frankly, uh, you can, as I recall, you can go to Walmart and grab a Blu-ray of this right now. Right now? Uh, I don't know if you can right now, but it's but it's not that expensive. Um, that they're selling they're selling them individually. But if you're a monster, uh, frankly, if you're a Universal monster fan, you probably already have this movie. Uh, <laughs> if yeah. if you're not, though, um, <laughs> I have almost the whole line of the Walmart glow in the dark covers. Oh, you do. Of these movies, oh. <laughs> I, almost, I think I'm missing like the Invisible Man and let's think something else. But yeah, I love yeah. those. I don't have any of those because I have the <laughs> I have the box set. Um, yeah, you know, well, I didn't have that, so I found these like last Halloween. I got like three more. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe, <laughs> they're fun. I like. They them. were selling them during Halloween, so maybe they're not there anymore. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I have I have the box set. And I have all the legacy collections on DVD still, so I I really deeply adore the Frankenstein films in particular. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, this is going to be a great episode next week too. I think next episode, sorry, not next week because we're doing bi-weekly now. Yeah, and so thank you for going along with that, uh, everyone. Yeah, yeah, so we appreciate it. Especially Michelle, because she's the one who does all the hard work. <laughs> uh, I appreciate having a little bit extra time yeah. to make everything sound good for you guys to listen to. So thank you. Yeah. All right. So you can um, find both of us online on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Michelle in Agen. If you want to talk about movies some more, I'm usually around. Yeah. And uh, I'm at Brian D. Kuiper. And the show is at Movie Life Pod. And getting a little bit better about doing our Twitter stuff. 
Also, we should mention really quickly, it's going to be available by this point. Michelle and I wrote an article together for F This Movie. Uh, Patrick Bromley asked us if we would write a uh, article for their 1988 1988. 1988 week, uh, which is uh, leading up to F This Movie Fest. Uh, I know this is coming out after that has happened, but go ahead and yeah. check back. And uh, we wrote an article together on Bloodsport. Uh, it was a JCVD, JCVD yeah. a first time watch for me. And I <laughs> had a blast with it. Uh, and our article, yes, I think is a lot of would. fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, I th- we tried to capture the spirit of the show uh, in an in yeah. article form. And so hopefully you'll check that out. And, um, Yeah, we look forward to talking more movies next time. Yeah, always a good time. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye!